You bring news, this too shall pass. Squares, good morning or good afternoon, wherever you are, and welcome to another episode of Square Waves FM, episode number 34. Today we'll be discussing our favorite game characters. I'm the your co-host Bianca, and with our regular host Brian. Brian. <laughs> and today we have the special distinction of having not one but two guests join joining us. The first of whom you're probably familiar with and has uh, been on the show in the past and, and has submitted various uh, emails before. Say hi to nice people, Ben. Hello, my name is Ben Sandler and it's lovely to be back on this podcast. Yay. And joining us for the first time is the lovely Kelsey. Hello. Would you like to uh, say a few words about yourself, introduce yourself to the listeners? Sure. I'm Kelsey. I am the editor-in-chief of Nerdy But Flirty, which is an all-woman staffed gaming and geek culture website. And I'm also a stream friend, and we stream games as a group. And um, I'm in a theater production soon, and I've done a couple Batman fan films. Oh, that's cool. Thanks. Can you tell us anything about your theater production? We're doing The School for Lies by David Ives, and it's all in rhyming couplets, and I have 11 days to memorize the whole thing. <laughs> wow. wow. That's ridiculous. Does rhyming um, couplets make it any easier to remember? I'm hoping so. Um, <laughs> I The director told me when me and the male lead have to, um, how long we have to memorize the lines, so I texted him and I said, so you're going to move into the spare bedroom, and we're not going to do anything <laughs> else except run lines for 11 days. Yeah. And, and then he said that, um, he said, quote, I'm changing it to interpretive dance and I'm going to just do the whole thing. No lines, just dancing. <laughs> naked? No, he did not <laughs> specify naked. <laughs> well, you can assume. You don't want to be the only person not naked. <laughs> that would be very awkward. For someone. Mm-hmm. You wonderful I'm not sure how to rhyme while dancing either. Do you have to like, is that like synchronized swimming or something? Oh god, probably. <laughs> Might be easier. I, I don't know lines. how you remember lines, but I can't remember where I put my car keys most of <laughs> Yeah, that's scary. I mean, I can remember song lyrics from like songs I listened to in high school. So I wish I could just dump those out <laughs> and put the lines in whatever section that is. Like mm-hmm. a hard drive. Erase yes. Old, put the new ones in. That would be really handy. There's lots of stuff I learned in school I'm never going to use. I don't want, I'm not going to use calculus. Well, I don't know. You ever seen that movie Johnny Mnemonic? It didn't really work out well for uh, what's his name. For <laughs> oh, why am I not? Why am I not remembering? Was it Keanu Reeves? Yeah, it's Keanu Reeves. Thank you. I've seen snippets of that. Someone showed me on Twitter when I was researching stuff for doing cyberpunk, uh, and that was very, very nineties. It was amazing. How come Keanu Reeves gets to play all the hackers? Like. What is with that? He doesn't come across as a nerdy type. Yeah, he I guess. He's kind I of like, like he does. he's he's kinda of like I don't know, hacker surfer dude. Somewhere in between. <laughs> that's not a combination that's never a combination anywhere in the world. There's nobody that that, that is that. <laughs> well for the longest time, wasn't his catchphrase whoa? 
Probably. I don't know much about films. Um. <laughs> you need to see uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure with Keanu Reeves and some other oh, guy. Yeah. That I don't I've think been told that yeah, I some other dude. Oh, that's a phenomenally good, very, very, uh, very um, unique and zany science fiction movie with terrific protagonists. That is a great, great movie. Thumbs up, dude. <laughs> I wonder if people spoke like that, like in America, in California, I guess. I wonder if that was just like how people constantly talk. That's how they talked in the movies anyway. And- yeah. yeah. I mean, people but did you- say dude when, I, when we were, in, when, at least when I was in school. Oh, I still say dude, but I don't say it. Yeah, like, but you're Australian. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. I say all sorts of unpredictable things that I can't. You say that and you wear your crocodile Dundee uh, attire. <laughs> I think you might I be typecasting. Oh, who, me? <laughs> <laughs> That's That's who I am. You got me. <laughs> I, I've had the stupidest thing in my head for like a month what, or something. Your brain? Uh, you, <laughs> why I oughta. Throw me in a river. Okay, so what, what's that movie that we saw about like the, the teleporting building that goes to alternative Earths? Parallels. Parallel. Okay, so we saw this really. Building? Yeah, we saw this idiotic <laughs> sci fi movie called Parallels. And it's about it's about these people who like go into a building, sort of no, not knowing what it is, and then they walk Looking out of the building. Father, because he left a note trying to get these two kids, a strange kid, to come home, and they find this bag full of junk, and they got to go to this building to find their dad. And this building randomly teleports to different points. No, um, actually, teleport teleports between different uh, realities at the same point in time. Yeah, it's like alternative alternative timelines of the Earth. So, like, they walk into the building. Doesn't it? It so does. It's like it's isn't it like Indigo Prophecy? It's it's pretty much about the same sophistication in terms of the narrative and all that. (laughs) Okay, Indigo Prophecy is way above that. (laughs) I mean, yes, at the end it's kind of fucking ridiculous, but it's (laughs) it's still like it's still heads and light years above this piece of garbage. And I think she's right, actually. So anyway, the stupidest thing in the whole movie that has been stuck in my head for no particular reason is... Crombie. Is the Crombie. (laughs) So they go to this alternative Earth and it's like way more uh, technologically advanced than our Earth is today. They have like all this cool technology and stuff like that. So the protagonists are kind of like stumbling around trying to figure out where they are and they haven't eaten in like two days so that... So two of the protagonists go find this food cart, and they ask, okay, well, can I have a hot dog? They're like, what's a hot dog? All we have is a crombie. So like, okay, give me a crombie. <laughs> and it's like... <laughs> it looks a crab like, shoved between two pieces of bread. It looks like they took like a... It looks like they took a whole crab, like, shell it off, <laughs> and like dipped it in a deep fryer and put it between two slices of bread. <laughs> So there's these great big deep fried claws kind of sticking out the sides. It's so stupid. And I have not been able to get this ridiculous image out of my head for <laughs> weeks. So now I'm kind of in search of the elusive crombie. I need a crombie. I remember I remember when I was a kid, my I was at a really small school. My my graduating class from elementary school was four students. So when we went on camp, we'd always team up with another two really small schools. These other schools were so small, they made our school look big. That's how small these other schools were. And one of them was Babakin. And one of the guys there, I don't know why I remember this, but his name was Samuel Crombie. And he had a massive <laughs> head. Like his head was 
massive. And for some reason, everybody called him Samuel J. Samuel. And I have no idea why we called him that because that wasn't his name. I don't know why. But you've just reminded me of my boyhood, of my youth. <laughs> it also reminds me of my English teacher, Miss Tiller. She was a great, a great teacher. She, um, which is why I talk so well, because she was a good teacher. Um, she told me she went to Germany and was walking around looking for food and found a hot dog van, like a burger van, sorry. <laughs> and on the side of it was just like a painting of two buns and standing between the two buns was just a horse. And she's like, I am not eating there. <laughs> Well, at least there was truth in advertising. Unlike yeah, when you went to I IKEA and you accidentally got horse meat in your lasagna. Did that happen? Yeah. Apparently, they got they advertised like beef or pork lasagna, and they had like some sort of weird animal farm, a like farm animal in the uh, lasagna instead, like horse or something. What? <laughs> that sounds a little non-traditional. <laughs> yeah, that really does. I've never eaten a horse. I've never, I've never eaten horse or a horse. But you eat like a horse. I eat like a horse. <laughs> that's the next best thing. Yeah, that's a, a stop, bro. You get <laughs> I don't know how we're getting on this topic, but this has reminded me of my teenage years now. <laughs> so I was downtown with a bunch of friends. We uh, we all grew up in like a suburban. Toronto, which is like super, super boring and you can't walk anywhere. You have to drive everywhere because it's so spread out. The only places you can possibly walk to are like... Uh, the park and the grocery store. The park or the convenience store. And so the bad kids the bad kids would all walk to the convenience store and stand outside of it and smoke. And when they ran out of smokes, they could walk into the convenience store and buy more smokes. I wasn't a bad kid. I was a good kid. So I went with my... <laughs> I, Not according to your parents. Well, the, I, this was while I was a good kid. I wasn't always a good kid, but this is while I was a good kid. I went downtown with my friends, and we had watched a movie or something, and uh, walked out of the movie, and uh, we're just chatting, and something strange caught my eye as we were walking back towards the subway station. I looked down, and I saw a can, um, like, a, a, like a, a can of cola or something, a drinking can, uh, a tin, and uh, on the side of it was a picture of, like, a full meal. It was like a turkey dinner with, like, potatoes and beets oh, and... and Did I? Yeah. And so I couldn't fathom this thing. So I'm like, why would there be a... I asked my friends, why is there a turkey on a can? And this, like, Jamaican homeless guy who was walking past us said in this, like... I can't do the accent, but said in this, like, really <laughs> thick accent, oh, yeah, you don't need no turkey on a can. <laughs> it's just some stranger walking past says it to us and kept on walking. <laughs> That's like this has somehow been dredged up into my into my you know, mind. You know what the most interesting to me thing to me is that we've had enough conversations that that story's come up to us. <laughs> That's really, That's really the most I don't remember this one. You don't remember. <laughs> we need to get you on more podcasts then, don't we, babe? I suppose we do. <laughs> And then I can insult you some more. Oh, good. Please do. <laughs> oh, of course I will, my darling. It's the one. <laughs> so, um, I have... <laughs> the video game podcast, we're talking about weird food. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, you can't play video games without some sort of uh, snack or food. And half the stuff you eat in video games to get your health up is weird. That's such a weird concept. In, like, Duke Nukem, drink a can of soda. To, well, you just run over a can of soda to get your health back. Glug, glug, glug. It's, yeah, it goes through your feet. Osmosis, baby. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Is, that's very in true. In Gala, you eat, like, a whole chicken dinner. Oh, that's a good <laughs> point. That might be one of the earliest examples, huh? <laughs> 
And you're the, you're the biggest asshole know. in the world if you shoot the food. Yeah. <laughs> and if you if it's like a four player top down uh, game, and if one of you shoots the food, like the stupid asshole uh, like narrator or whatever of this arcade game tells everybody who shot the food. Man, why did Tales that titles out of class? That's horrible. I know, super tattletale. <laughs> yeah, know. in the GameCube one, um, my sister and I would play all the time. So her, the character that you were playing with would always go like something like, "That was mine." <laughs> <laughs> oh, the GameCube one was that like the three D polygon version? Yeah, it was. Um, Dark Legacy, it was the best. Oh, yeah. That was an arcade game first, and it was like mm-hmm. a, a re-release or whatever of the 1980s arcade game, and it was excellent. I was very impressed by that. I haven't played the latest iteration of Gauntlet. I heard kind of mixed things about it on launch, and then I heard that they uh, patched it and added a bunch of free content and fixed a bunch of things, and it's supposed to be excellent now, but I just haven't gotten around to trying that. Yeah, same. I'm excited, too. Someday. All right. I um, Well, let's talk about something video game related. I wanted to give a shout out to someone I'm certain does not listen to the podcast, but I will send a shout out to this fine gentleman anyway. Um, How dare I? I don't know. <laughs> this, uh, this person is a guy by the name of Max Coburn, who is a musician who goes by the name Maxo. He may very well be my favorite composer ever. He is the most phenomenally, unbelievably talented guy, and I've I, I, I've been tracking uh, the music I listened to on Last.fm since, like, 2007, I think, 2008. So, like, tens of thousands of songs have been tracked. And Maxo has more plays than any other artist in the history of my tracking music on that service. Wow. So I love this guy's composition. He's, like, kind of jazzy chiptune style. Almost everything he does is in sort of a synthesized chiptune kind of a style, but he's super duper clever and very, very intricate. He reminds me, I think, more than anyone else of Venetian Snares, who is an electronic musician from Winnipeg who does like way over overproduced, overcomplicated music. But whereas I think you've shown me some Venetian Snares. I've, I yeah. wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> it was we were talking about time signatures and you got me to guess the time ah. signature on one of the songs and it was in seven. Yes, that's right. That's kind of his thing. He, he primarily does it in seven. I, I'm ah, still not sure if it's seven, eight, or seven, four. That horrible shite. I don't listen to it around you anymore. I usually listen to that uh, if I'm working or something. It's pretty like I, spastic and chaotic. I I love the fact that you've been using tracking when talking about music without making it a pun. Like intentionally, that's lovely. Wait, <laughs> <laughs> making tracking a pun? Yeah. 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 You're saying music I've been tracking track. music. I'm thinking, oh, track music. Oh, I'm a little slow tonight, pardon me. Yes, indeed. Well, tonight? Sorry, try, yes. Screw you, buddy. <laughs> screw, screw you right in your screwing zones. <laughs> Love blossoms. On the <laughs> way I made a comment about that, but I won't go there. Okay. So- <laughs> okay. <Wow. laughs> okay, look, before this deteriorates into cackling hyenas anonymous, uh, <laughs> let me finish my damn story, lady. <laughs> <laughs> you were telling oh, a story. No, I was telling a story. So, um, Ma- uh, Maxo, a little while ago, did the. He's um, he's either a student or a recent graduate of. Uh, I don't know if you say as SUNY S U N Y State University of New York. Yep, it is SUNY. SUNY. Um, 
and he studied uh, music there, and I'm sure he could have like taught the course rather than major in it. But uh, his final project was so fascinating. He did a, he did something which he released for free called the Level Music Project, and what he did was he visited 47 different areas of the SUNY uh, Purchase Campus and kind of got a feel for what those 47 different locations were like. And he wrote like two to four minute songs kind of capturing the feel of those 47 different areas. And wow. it's really like this, he's a very prolific artist. I have, I don't know how many albums of his, maybe 20 albums or something. And he's a young guy. He's like in his twenties. Um, so it's a really, really great, uh, it's a really, really great um album, The Level Music Project. So what's even more interesting is that he composed this music using nothing but Super Nintendo game uh, samples. And so I asked him just out of the blue, like, I, I don't want to ask you for your uh, uh, for the, the, the tricks in your magic hat or anything like that, but uh, do you have any of those Super Nintendo samples to share with me? And he did indeed. He gave me a link to somebody who had all of these, uh, what are called sound fonts, which are kind of a, it's like a compilation of a bunch of different sounds. So they're kind of broken up. There's one sound font per Super Nintendo game because those were kind of similar in their uh, file format to mod music. I think it was um, it was Anatoly. Hi, uh, Dost Nostalgic. He's the mm-hmm. one who uh, told me about this. I, I wasn't aware that uh, it comes with little tiny wave files bundled in and that's how they compose the music by triggering those little wave files. So Maxo linked me. What's that? I had a friend who used to make, when I was making games by myself, who used to make music for me using sound fonts, so I'm quite familiar with the concept. Mm. They're very, very, very handy, especially for sharing stuff. Oh, yes, precisely. Yeah, that's exactly what they're for. They're compact little things that you can pass along to someone. They're intended for uh, MIDI music, which would... Yeah, little packages of audio and love. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to say thank you very much to Maxo for being doubly generous. Number one, for sharing those sound fonts with me, well, which I guess he got from somebody else, so that guy's generous too. And also for releasing so much of his music for free. I think I volunteered to pay him a few bucks for that because it's really good music. I love his I love his music so much. I've uh, put one of his songs at the end of one of our episodes today. Uh, I love the... I love the idea of, of doing the video game thing where you have a theme for each area for a real-life location because it's such a video game thing. You don't really have that so much. Obviously, you have the light motif in films and stuff like that, but it really is a very much a video game consideration. Like, oh, you're in the water stage. Here's the water stage song. Yeah, I'm sure that's why he called it the Level Music Project just because he yeah. had a theme for each physical location. He didn't get around to it, but he had the idea where he loved to make like a, a smartphone app with a GPS so that if you're walking in that part oh, of the campus, it plays nice. the song, but he couldn't quite figure that out in time. Mm-hmm. That's but, really cool. That yeah. sounds like an interesting concept. It's a great concept. Well, I mean, composing 47 songs is amazing in and of itself. That's true. That's very true. Yeah. So go Maxo. Love the guy. I will link to him in the show notes gladly. Um in my notes, I also have a big, fat, uh, juicy thank you to the Blue Cup Tools podcast for reading and taking so seriously my letter about Bubble Bobble. <laughs> I'm glad that I'm, I want to – I've come here today. The only reason I'm really here is to say that I'm glad that you set the record straight on Bubble Bobble. Yeah, we don't have that curmudgeonly fellow who doesn't like bubble-blowing games. Who doesn't, with us who doesn't like Bubble Bobble? What? Who doesn't like bubble-blowing Bubble Bobble. Francis- oh. Francisco does not like Bubble Bobble. We love him all the same. What the hell is his problem? Why doesn't he like it? It's cute. 
Exactly. Kelsey, do you like Bubble Bobble? I've never played it and I've never heard of it before that Blue Cup Tools episode. Oh, really? Yeah. We gotta, we gotta hook you it's up. It's time yet. Yes. It's time. This, this game is timeless. Basically, you're like a, really? a little dragon thing and you barf bubbles at enemies. That's that's about just, the just, just like in real life. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'd be a big dragon one. Yeah. <laughs> you would. I'd be like the little purple one, I think. <laughs> a little a little purple dragon. Little Brian turning around spewing bubbles out. <laughs> and I like say that. I'd play that. <laughs> You'd play little Brian spewing? Yeah. <laughs> I hope to give you the opportunity sometime soon. Oh, good. No, I can't get that image out of my head. Thanks a lot, Ben. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> oh. it's, it's way too early. I've been up since four o'clock. It's way too Monday morning for me to handle this, but that's fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm still here. Okay, good. I'll do my best. <laughs> that's good. Mm-hmm. Um... What else do I have on my list here? Oh, I wanted to send a shout out to the Lost Treasures of Gaming podcast, um, which I've mentioned Mm. previously. They're such a good podcast. They're like a really short podcast between like 30 and 60 minutes. Um, Like Square Waves. Yeah, really nice and concise and to the point. You know, brevity is wit. And so we're the wittiest here at Square Waves. (laughs) <laughs> um, so the Lost Treasures of Gaming they read a letter of mine I was basically uh, kissing their, their bum bums and telling them what a great podcast they have it's true though I love their podcast and um, I had asked them a question about uh, about someone that I met uh, one of one of the uh, people who the two guys who run this podcast are Sid and Sean and uh, one of the, the the one guy Sid uh, Sid Bolton he runs the computer the computer history museum yep which we've talked about previ- on a previous podcast. Yeah, it's about an hour out of town from Toronto. Yeah. Magical place. Amazing place. Incredibly generous guy. Has hosts all these incredible old computers and turns them on and keeps them in good repair and encourages everyone to type on them and to play with them. And he puts games on all of them and mm-hmm. little kids Even who have never E.T., seen them. Which completely blows balls. Yeah, E.T. does blow <laughs> balls, doesn't he? Yeah, it's the stupidest game ever, and yet it's there. You guys ever play the E.T. game for the Atari 2600? Didn't that get buried in landfill and was only unearthed recently? That is just think, the one. I think that came out before I was born, maybe. I think it came out close to when I was born. It's from like 1981 or something, 82, I think. Oh, then yeah, well, way before then. Yeah, sure, well before, well, before I was born, too. Well, I'll be the old guy then and say that I actually... <laughs> You I actually the played the thing. I, I had a friend who owned who owned it, and so I played it at his his house many many yeah. moons ago. But As we, played we discussed it again. when we uh, did the uh, podcast on console games. Oh, that's right. I'm, boy, was my memory crap for that episode. <laughs> Things that I thought I remembered did not quite flesh out so clearly once I no, they started didn't. digging into it. <laughs> oh, well, oh, it happens wow. to me daily for where my car keys are. <laughs> It's, just, it's a fact of life these days. Well, I recommend then not playing E.T. for the Atari 2600 because you will remember that experience. There's like no I, I, no washing that flavor out of your mouth, so to speak. That is a lousy game. Walking, walking. Uh, oh! It's a game where you walk and you accidentally fall in a hole. Oh! sounds like fun. Where am I? It really is. that guy? Okay, I'll run this way. Can you die? Can you get hurt? You have energy. You have like a set amount of energy at the beginning of the game, like a thousand energy. You lose energy over time 
you lose energy by walking. And if you fall in a hole, you lose energy by flying out of the hole. Isn't and that your what, neck stretches when you fly out. Yeah, isn't that what E.T. does in the movies? He flies out of holes. So it's just like the movie. <laughs> yeah. Power of friendship. I Make guess so. Fly. Yes. <laughs> I'm pretty, pretty sure I saw it. I don't remember it. All I know is I have bad memories at the time we saw it. Because the person we were watching it with, their uh, kid traumatized, the kids traumatized me by telling me that if you eat the pizza crust, it'll make your hair even more curly. What? Yeah, they traumatized, yeah, a bunch of people, a bunch of kids, a couple of my mom's friends' kids traumatized me because uh, they told me that eating pizza crust made my hair curly. <laughs> and I hated curly, and I hated my hair when I was younger because it was super kinda, curly. That's kind of that's crazy enough to be one of those things that sounds incredible. I know, so I didn't eat pizza crust for a long time. Oh. But, but I do remember vaguely E.T. and Ghostbusters on being put on at the same time, being put on during that time. At the same time, my head would explode. <laughs> I <laughs> meant pretty, um, in the same combo. time period, not at oh. the same moment. Oh, am I taking you too little? Simultaneous. <laughs> no, not quite, but yeah. Cross your eyes and perceive this kind of super movie in your brain. <laughs> I never understood those folk tales where, oh, if you eat this, it'll put hairs on your chest. If you eat this, it'll make your hair curly. It sounds like you can have some sort of weird character creation system just by altering your diet. Like, oh, I want to have <laughs> yeah. good night vision. I mean, when you're a kid, oh, you believe this carrots. stupid crap, but when you're an adult, it kind of goes, you believe this. That, that was kind of a cool idea there, Ben. Imagine a character creation Kind of a thing. I mean, I, I was just playing a little bit of Grand Theft Auto Five again uh, after putting it away for some time, and I remembered that when you uh, make a character for the online thingy, um, uh-huh. you create your character by kind of choosing your parents, and then it's sort of a oh, sim sort of a thing, and then it kind of makes this really ugly person out of the. Oh two ugly gosh, parents. it's <laughs> so ugly. Unless you pick the right parents, your character is so hideously ugly. So imagine if, like, instead of that, it was like, which superstitions did your child partake in yeah. as a kid to make them look that horrible way? Oh. Like, oh, you stuck your tongue out too many times at strangers that waiting for the bus while you were in your car window. <laughs> so now your face is you know stuck like that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I you stuck my tongue out awesome. at a teacher once, <laughs> a few times, actually. I didn't like this teacher, so I did that. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> That's a bad. I think it would be, would be awesome is, you know, they have the old folk tale where if you pull a face when you're a child and your mother or your aunt or grandmother said, oh, if you do that and the wind changes, your face will be stuck like that. <laughs> and like a Monkey Island style puzzle. Yeah, you cross your eyes, you're going to stay that way. Yeah. Yeah, you control your face with the analog sticks and you got to keep doing it until the wind changes and that's your face for the whole game. <laughs> I'd play that. I'd make great. that. I know what I'm doing this weekend coming up. <laughs> That'll be sweet. Yeah. It seems it's always mothers and grandmothers who tell you not to do these things. I don't. My grandma what... said some weird, weird things when I was a child. Like she, I'm like, what is this warning me of? That's not. That's not a danger. I know. It's like dad's. Not, my father never told me any of this weird stuff. Hmm. My father gave me practical advice, like how to drive and how to use a hammer and saw. Can you give us an example of something your grandmother told you? I'm trying to think now. What weird things. I, next time I go visit her, I know that once she yodeled beneath a tree and then the rooster <laughs> died that used to roost in that tree and her mother finished her. <laughs> That's a yodel. Yeah, but she actually, she used to walk home with a lady called Betty Gunn and, um, this is turning to just telling weird stories in your podcast. I'm sorry. I really apologize. But she told me this story. She used to walk home with a girl called Betty Gunn. And they they'd sort of one day tried yodeling and decided they were good enough or at least confident enough at it to try putting on a concert. 
for the family when they got home. So they got home and said, oh, we're going to put it on a yodeling concert. And everybody came out and, and pulled out chairs to watch this impromptu yodeling concert, but they didn't want anybody to see them, so they stood behind the tree to yodel, which is hilarious in my mind, this idea of two schoolgirls yodeling behind a that tree is, the family watched. That is watched. so weird. They don't yeah. want to be seen, but they put on a concert anyway. Oh, no, no. But anyway, so they did this concert, and the next morning the rooster that always roosted in that tree was dead on the ground, and, of course, her mother teased her. I took oh. my grandmother to the town fair like two weeks ago, and we were walking along, and my grandma started talking to, I think they're called Rawleys. They used to have, like, traveling salesmen that would come around with a suitcase, but now they just... You know, they're just at fairs and they sell weird things like colloidal silver and stuff. And Grandma said, oh, we used to have the Rawleys man come around. And the woman at the stall said, oh, who was it? Um, which area? And Grandma said, and she said, oh, it was Ray Ellery. And she said, oh, yeah, that was my father. And this is his wife, Betty. And it was Betty Gunn, the girl that did the yodeling. I was like, wow. oh, my God, it's the yodeling girl. <laughs> <laughs> That's, oh, now that's me. I'm done. And I can't top that for this podcast. I'm done. I'm done. I'll just sit here quietly and draw. And now it's my turn because I'm certain I've I've heard you tell this story before. I don't know if it was on your own podcast or maybe on ours. I think I did tell it on there, yeah. That's quite all right. That That is almost the story of Skyrim. <laughs> In Skyrim, you like learn how to shout. <laughs> so, like, maybe your grandmother can like summon dragons or something fantastic like that. Push dragons back. Yes. <laughs> Control yourself, Ben. <laughs> oh, that is super cool. <laughs> I do playing Skyrim as my grandma. I've been walking, going around the bed. Oh, that's uh, that's be adorable. <laughs> Neato. That's going to keep me laughing for a good week, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, that's good. All right. What else we got going on? I have I've had two stupid things in my head this week for no particular reason. In you already a, mentioned the crombie. In addition to the crombie, believe it or not, I have I have nothing better to occupy my brain with than to kind of turn around these idiotic things that I, that that strike my fancy. So one of one of them, since we're on the top, we will be on the topic of favorite game characters. Uh, my my dear wife here, when she's creating characters in World of Warcraft, there's about a. 19 in 20 chance that she will create a character of a single race. What race is that? The Draenei. The Draenei, a.k.a. Space Goats! The Space Goats. Because <laughs> they look, they look oh. like blue goats, and they, they're from space. They're like aliens who crash-landed on a spaceship, and now they're in... They're they, the Aftadar. The name of their spaceship is what crashed into Azura when it was trying to escape from Argus, which is known as Outland, when they... Were, which they were driven off of as the result of the Burning Legion. Do go on. What's the matter? You don't want to hear Warcraft lore? No. <laughs> I'm talking about I'm talking about something that has to do with rear ends. <laughs> so, <laughs> so when, okay. much like the original uh, Warcraft games, where you could like click on a character and it would say a thing to you, and you could like keep clicking on them and get more and more annoying. Doing? Yeah, it was awesome. You guys ever play the original Warcraft games, the the uh, real time oh, yeah. strategy games? I did when I was little. Yeah. Oh yeah. So I've got, I've got the original in the box. Oh, beautiful. Oh, I envy you. I wish I had mine still. I had it, and I had, and I, but I put. I uh, didn't really play it. It's the second one I played all the way through and finished with cheat codes. 
Bones. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's good. I, I couldn't be bothered not to cheat in those games. It was too much fun to just roll over everybody with my gigantic, infinite, uh, invincible Oh, yeah. The, it's fun to cheat when you, once you've completed the game. But, I mean, to play it the first time, I didn't cheat. Oh, I didn't, I didn't have the patience. Well, anyway, in World of Warcraft, when uh, you find an NPC who is a male Draenei, you know, they say a whole bunch of various catchphrases, and I always laugh at one like a, like a little schoolgirl, because one of the things they say is, this too shall pass. But it sounds, because of their, they have, like, sort of, what, what's their accent sort of well, like? Well, um, most of the uh, lore sites can uh, have this consensus that it's Eastern European. Uh, it does sound Eastern European. So when they say, this, okay. this too shall pass, it kind of sounds like this, this stool shall, shall pass. pass. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> so I snicker at it. I've been snickering at this for, like, nine years now. Well, it it didn't sound particularly pronounced until the release of Warlords. Because I found that it was far more pronounced in this one when you were talking to the males, especially the ones, especially the ones where uh, there were uh, the followers in your garrison, such as Artificial, Artificer uh, Rummel, and I'm sorry, am I? uh, You're Loring. I'm Bingy. You're Lauren. You're Lauren. I've never heard that made to a verb before. <laughs> Would you like me to LARP instead? Oh, don't LARP. Don't LARP, don't LARP. <laughs> well, at least I live up to my so, title of Lore Master. So you're saying that they either re-recorded or refined this stool shall pass? Like in nine years or whatever, you'd think this, this stool would have passed? <laughs> Maybe you should get it looked at. I know, but I've, tried, I've listened carefully. And the other ones sound like they say this too shall pass. But this one, for some reason, it's in, Draenor, it's in Draenor only, the alternative Draenor, not the original, not the Outland Draenor, which is in Burning Crusade. Oh, I get you. It just sounds a little more like this stool shall pass. <laughs> I'm still laughing at it. I'm such a child. No kidding. <laughs> well, they do say that the uh, average male is about five years behind in its maturity than females. Yeah, well, I'm no oh, average male. Five years is... Five years is generally in my opinion. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm no average. Yeah. <laughs> so the other thing that's been in my head, and I guess this could be a... This could be a what, you mean you have a brain in there? <laughs> yeah, this could be a segue into us talking about what we played this week, is um, we uh, like to occasionally play this game called Quiplash. No, it's not Quiplash. It's uh, Drawful, which Yay. is... These games are... Both these games are made by Jackbox Games, a.k.a. or formerly uh, Jellyvision, who made the You Don't Know Jack games. Mm-hmm. One of my very, very favorite game studios um, in their presentation and in the dialogue, and especially in the music, because in Drawful, they have this... Let's hear it. Yeah, it is. This is what's been in my head all week. It's kind of like this sort of like very chipper kind of Playboy bunny hop sort of a song, and it's like wow. twenty seconds long, and it loops while it's wait like while you're waiting for it. It's a Pictionary kind of a game, so it Actually, plays. This, it doesn't play for like a minute or so. Well, it loops over and over and over, which is why it's so friggin' memorable. That's <laughs> so been in my head. It's I don't know. It's, sometimes if I get a song in my head, I won't really get a song in my head. I'll just get like yeah. five seconds of the song in my head. But you got like a full blown earworm here. Yes. So if it, if the whole song is twenty seconds, then it's and it loops. So we're gonna get in there. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty insidious. 
I knew a guy that used to sing songs over and over again and get them stuck in his head and he'd sing them over, but just one line. So you'd hear the same line over and over and over for the whole day. <laughs> it was, just, it was exhausting. My sister, when she was little, used to sing songs all the time and me just being a jerk of an older brother, it would tick me off when she would sing. So... When she was singing a song, I would start singing or humming some other song, and then she would kind of catch on and start singing that unbeknownst to her. And then when she started singing that song, I would kind of start humming a different song, and then she would start to sing that song, too. Oh, it's like yawning. That means your sister has got a lot of empathy, maybe. Uh, maybe. She does have a lot of empathy. She has two gorgeous little boys now. She has nothing but empathy, all the empathy in the world. As do I, because I love my nephews. Good. Yeah. It's into a very sweet podcast. All of a sudden, well, it's about time. <laughs> it's about time it swung to the other extreme. Well, yeah, uh, fair Kelsey, would you like to tell us uh, about what you've been playing this past week or so? Sure. I um, I just bought Trespasser for Dragon Age Inquisition, so I've started that, and I'm really enjoying it. Oh, yeah, you're um, a big Dragon Age fan. I've seen you tweeting about it. I am. I uh I just passed a hundred hours in wow. Inquisition wow. <laughs> with uh, playing this the the new DLC, and I'm it's great. It's set two years after Inquisition is over, mm-hmm. and um, I've only played it one time, so that hundred hours is just one game. <laughs> wow, yeah, that's pretty and impressive. Basically, the only other thing I've played is Verity, which is a free game on Steam from the people who did. Um, that's it. Anyway, you, you grow succulent plants. And it's it's really relaxing. The soundtrack is really pretty. And all you have to do is water them and your pot will grow more pretty plants. Oh, Nito, What's it called? Viridi. V-I-R-I-D-I. Viridi. Sounds really nice. Yeah, that yeah, sounds very pleasant. Lovely. And um, Cook, Serve, Delicious, I play at least once a week so I can do the weekly challenge. I forgot it had a weekly challenge. That is such a good game. It's amazing. I think one of my most anticipated games for next year is the sequel. For Me sure. Too. Me too. Bianca and I both played that a whole bunch, and it kind of got the better of us after a while, or at least me. Mm-hmm. It just gets harder and harder. But it uh, does. I have. I cannot. I have so far not mastered the the new game plus like that difficulty. It's impossible. Uh, which <laughs> game is this? Cook serve delicious. Oh yes, yes. Mm-hmm. I haven't tried it since they've released anything new. Oh, it's it's the weekly challenges are fun. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so so good. It's one of those games that I think is like made for the computer. It's like made for mm-hmm. keyboard. It's that kind of game where you wish like you're playing another game and you you I don't know you're aiming or something. You're doing something that's mm-hmm. kind of fuzzy, and you sort of wish you could just do something like uh, like digital or binary or precisely. You're either doing it or you're not. Yes. And Cook Serve Delicious is like the best possible example of that, where you like press mm-hmm. your keyboard keys and be mog. Yeah, BMOG. I told you about this once. Oh, yeah, for the Kelsey, salad. The salad. Yay. Yeah, those are the for those who don't know, it cooks serve delicious. You like when you're making a salad, it's basically it's kinda of like a WarioWare sort of a game where uh, you have a series of different tasks and uh, those tasks are accomplished by typing different keys on your keyboard. So if you're making a salad for someone, the person ordering the salad will order certain ingredients and you have to press the corresponding keys, but no more or no less. And so the most common one was like Bacon, bacon, onion, uh, cheese, and some sort of dressing. Yeah, which are B M O N G. So B Mog. So whenever we have a salad, we call it a B Mog. 
<laughs> and while we were talking, I just decided to buy myself a game. Oh, nice. wow. just like that. What'd you buy? I bought Timberman, 98 cents, because I'm bored and this looked like fun. Oh, I played that on my <laughs> smartphone. I'm very bad at it. What, you mean there's a game you're not good at? What a surprise. <laughs> well, I thank you. Is that all you played this past week, uh, Kelsey? And I'm um, also Morrowind. I've been playing that on Stream Friends. Oh, right on. And I'm really enjoying it so far that I've ever gotten in the story. Um, and I think, let's see. Um, I'm 39 hours into that now. Wow. I had trouble getting into that just because there's so many systems and so much complexity and depth. I felt oh, absolutely. Like I wasn't really there's, getting anywhere. It's a lot of different things to level up and stuff like that. Yeah, it's um, it's I, after Skyrim. That's my favorite Elder Scrolls, just because um, Oblivion. I finished Oblivion, but I was not thrilled by it at all. Mm. Um, but Morrowind, I think, has a much better main plot than Oblivion, and um, once you get going, it, 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 it's, it is hard to get into it at the beginning because of what, like you said, it's hard to figure out, and um, plus there's no um, quick travel. <laughs> uh. you, have to, you have to walk everywhere, almost, and there are silt striders, which are like those big bugs, but you can't just click on the map and go somewhere. Mm-hmm. So that can get tiring, and sometimes people will give you quests, and you'll have to f- basically your direction. Your directions are, you know, turn left by the boat and walk until you see a pile of rocks, and you're like, oh my god. <laughs> That's what World of Warcraft used to be like until they added a bunch of on-screen mechanics, but it would kind of give you a fuzzy description of where something was, and doing a quest actually felt rewarding. Yeah, it's cool because, you know, you're looking in your journal all the time and it's like, this is what it would actually be like if I had to save the world. Yeah. I seem to remember having trouble finding quest givers to redeem quests in Morrowind. Yeah, you kind of have to remember who gave stuff to you. I would write down kind of what they looked like or what they had on or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a very good game, but it kind of got the better of me. It, uh... I think I remember going in, there's like a cave right in the very beginning, like near one of those Silk Strider Oh, yeah, that cave instantly. Yeah, because, you know, it's not really scaled. To, well, it's kind of scaled to you, but there's a mage in there. And if you're not ready for that, like, they're going to smash you. I got smashed real good. I think everyone that plays Morrowind falls for that cave. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. It's just... My so. favorite thing in Morrowind is the guy that you're just walking along and the guy just falls down and you find, like, the note on his body. It's really early in the game where he had, like, this potion that makes him really light or something. And you, it's kind of this dynamic storytelling where you figure out that he drank this potion or had these boots or something and just flew really high into the air and crash-landed just as you happen to be walking along there. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that reminds me of a, of, of a character I've talked about, too. He could very well have been on my list of favorite characters, too, in Ultima Underworld. Or this like there's this completely delusional old man who's looking for his blueprints, and you talk to him and he's like, "Do you have my blueprints? Are you my blueprints? Where's my blue my blueprints?" And he keeps calling you his blueprints, even though you're like some guy. And so he tells you, "Oh, you have to go into this uh, into this maze. You can you know where to go. Just look at the blueprints. Oh yeah, you're looking for the blueprints. Ah. But at the end of the maze, there's these two potions." And a red one and a green one. And one of them kills you, and the other one makes you fly, and he doesn't remember which is which. 
That reminds that's me. That's why of we have. That's why we have save spamming. That's right. <laughs> because, of, because of the nineties. And that that sca- that evil game only has four save slots too. So you really gotta <laughs> gotta plan ahead. You couldn't yeah. just delete People, one of your saves. You can delete a save. You just have to think. Overwrite it. Yeah. Think carefully when you save. Pe- Designers who who complain about save spammers, if you come from the nineties, you get the players you deserve. That's what I'll say. I used to hate Sierra Adventure. Sorry, Kelsey. Oh no, it's okay. I was just gonna say that I save like literally every fifteen seconds in Morrowind. It feels it feels like. (laughs) I used to hate Sierra Adventure games because I wasn't used to save spamming. But then one day I realized that the way to play the game is to just save constantly. The save after every click, after everything, and then I started quite enjoying them. I'm like, oh, this is quite fun. <laughs> so, you know, you literally save the kingdom. Oh my god, that's the oh. worst joke I've ever done. How do you boot me off the podcast? I didn't ben, want to go. Ben, I'd like you to yeah. think about what you just did, okay? That No, no, no. That's a bad, that's a bad Ben. <laughs> this is what happens when you invite me back. <laughs> The content, I used up everything interesting I had to say on the first podcast I was joining with. From, from there, it's just a steady decline into, why is he back? Why is Ben back? <laughs> hardly, sir. Hardly. There's a bit in my playthrough of the of King's Quest 1 for Stream Friends where I get almost to the bottom of this, that really big staircase that's like four screens. And I fuck it up and I go off the edge so I have to do the whole thing again. And I literally saved like at the end of each landing the next time. Uh-huh. I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> Man, there's a there's a bit in um, The Black Cauldron where I saved halfway through and then like three quarters of the way through this thing you have to climb. I just, I'm not, I'm not risking it. I've put my hard effort into climbing up this thing. I'm saving. <laughs> oh, I have this terrible luck in first-person shooters where I'll do a quick save and then a quarter of a second later I get killed by something. Oh, and that's the worst! And then you like every time you quick load, like, kind of dodge. It's and like your own personal health, so you keep reloading and you keep dying. Yeah, and yeah. if you don't save, you go a long time without saving, and you get killed by an airplane. Yeah, yes. we've all been there. <laughs> As an aside, by the way, I am reminded, uh, looking at Ben's avatar, which is a very happy-looking cookie monster, that I myself am feeling exactly like a cookie monster because we bought these new towels, and then when I showered today and used my new towel, I got covered with fluffs. <laughs> so I'm all fluffy, and it's kind of disconcerting. Anyway. And my towel, for one, didn't leave me with uh, some cookie monsterism. Yeah, some monsterism. <laughs> new towels are the best things in the world. They're so soft. Yes. Let's turn, let's turn this into a home like products podcast. <laughs> what is your favorite scented candle? Yet. Have you not worked that out yet? <laughs> I don't get the point. What's the point of a scented candle? Smelling? Um, yeah, I think it's like if you want to have incense but not quite so strong, you just want some nice vanilla. <laughs> it's like if you want Loganberry but you're not hungry, you just kind of want the essence of Loganberry. <laughs> You want vanilla ice cream, but you're not allowed to have any. So you're like, oh, I'll put on a vanilla candle. <laughs> I could, Wait if a that, second. I'm an adult now. I can have ice cream when I want. And I candles. candles. We can have, we well, can have scented candles and ice cream at the same time. I could just have a normal candle and sniff ice cream while I eat it. <laughs> I'd do that. That sounds, a be- that sounds a superior solution. <laughs> we'll have to try it. Well, Ben, what have you been playing recently besides? I've been, 
candle sniffing RS. <laughs> candle sniffer simulator 2015. They have that now. That's scary. Um, that does sound like something that would come out on Steam nowadays. Yeah, wouldn't surprise me. I mean, everything's a sim now, <laughs> and if it's not a I sim, what the- it's it's made I mean, an RPG maker. Right. Yeah. I mean, you could do it. You know, they had the the DS with the Zelda thing where you used to blow out stuff. You could use that to like detect yeah. sniffing because that was just noise based. <laughs> like sniff your microphone now. Like, it was like, oh, vanilla. That would be great. They could do that in a great. Sherlock Holmes game where you have to like, mm, mm, smells like almond. It must be arsenic. You know? <laughs> that would be great. That's anyway, a cool idea. I, what's that? Sorry, that's a, that's a very cool idea. I'm all for it. Except it would smell I, like pipe smoke all the time in that game, wouldn't it? Which Probably. game? In Sherlock Holmes. Although Sherlock Holmes could could differentiate between all the different types of tobacco. That was one of his character traits. Oh, yeah. I'll leave that to him because I don't like the smell of it. Yeah, I don't blame you. Um, but yeah, I've been playing a lot of Persona Four Golden on my PlayStation Vita, mm. uh, which is, I re- I heard so much about this game, and I bought it at the start of the year, and it's been sitting there with me terrified of putting it off because long RPGs are long. And I've sort of ground my way through the rest of the RPGs that have been on my waiting list, and I, I finally have time to get to Persona 4 Gold. So I've been playing that a lot. It's incredibly quirky. It's everything you expect from um, a slice-of-life anime TV show, but also with all the weird supernatural things. So it's like high schoolers, but also crazy demons, and also like, just slice of life stuff where you're doing vegetable gardens and going to the store with your friends. It's really weird. They tie all the systems in really close together. It's like every, so you have, it's, it's like the eye crossing thing we talked about. It's like every anime at the same time. It really is like that. It's yeah. incredible how well they managed to make it work. Cause it's part visual novel, part dungeon crawler and part, I don't know, just some weird thing where you're making recipes and not, not so much making recipes, but solving little quizzes in everyday life. It's really interesting that improving your friendship with a character actually levels you up for fighting in the dungeons. So at, at first I was grinding in the dungeons thinking, why am I not getting that much stronger? And I went out and did some of the slice of life stuff and suddenly got way stronger hmm. just oh. from talking to people. So that's really interesting. That's awesome. I always like it. Yeah. I always like it when stuff, when games have different systems for rewarding you with the experience, we talked about the Elder Scrolls before. I always like in those how hitting stuff makes you better at hitting stuff. Jumping makes you better at jumping. That's such a natural idea to me. Yeah. Um, one game I played recently was Satellite Rain, and I couldn't quite figure out why I was just running around an enemy base. I couldn't figure out why my character leveled up while running in a base. So I sort of did some experimenting and realized that every time you take a step when you're in a hot zone, like a dangerous area, you get experience, which is such an interesting thing. But also means I managed to level up a character just experimenting by standing, hiding on a rooftop in an enemy base and just running in circles. Mm. So the system was pretty easy to break. But yeah, but Persona 4 is really good. It's incredibly weird. Um, it's hard to explain why it's so weird but if you look at my twitter feed and see some of the screenshots i've been posting it really appeals to me in a quirky way if you like some of the more bizarre anime shows that well i haven't seen a lot of anime shows so i'm there are some of the more bizarre ones that i've seen stuff like fully cool and things like that you really get that crazy oh i'm in high school but everything is supernatural and weird and crazy thing going on but it's also very sweet and sort of 
talks about stories and relationships and, you know, just being a real good person, but also has serial killing. So it's, it's interesting like that. But yeah, that's really good. I'm enjoying that a lot. I have also, I actually bought a game this morning when I woke up because there was a sale on GOG on a game called Windward that I'd been watching and I'm a fan of Sid Meier's Pirates. Mm. So this, and it was a 50 megabyte download size. So I thought, oh, even I can download that. That's (laughs) actually a major factor in my life. Mm. Um, But yeah, I played a bit of that this morning and it seems like a really stripped down, simplified version of Pirates. And for a 50 megabyte game, it looks fantastic. Like fantastic 3D graphics. It's incredible. That's so cool. I only played. What's that? Sorry, Brian. Sorry, I said that's cool. I'm just. Uh, I, I I miss uh, the pirates style games. I actually, in fact, have not played Pirates or Pirates Gold. Only like the remake. The, the oh 2000 yeah. Something remake of uh, Sid Meier's Pirates. Yeah, I love that. I, I forget what it's called. I think it might just be called Sid Meier's Pirates. I believe I so. I really. I like the remake a lot. I think the three they did a really good job of. I really really like Firaxis games. I think they're incredible and. Mm. Um, I think Sid Meier is one of the greatest designers. Like, he's a legend. Like, people don't talk about him a great deal, but he changed the world, in my opinion. You know, as a kid that played way too much Civilization. Oh, sure. <laughs> so, Microprose was his baby. He's Yeah, he's mm-hmm. a very yeah. important guy yeah. in game history. Yeah. Love his games. Yeah. yeah, and that's why you suck so much at Civilization. I don't suck at Civilization. I just take my sweet time. <laughs> and oh, uh, man, their sweet time when we play multiplayer... So Bianca and I sometimes, when we'll play Civ Five, we'll like co-op it together. Because the first time we tried to play against each other, he cried like a little girl because I kicked <laughs> his ass every time. And so when she and I do a co-op thing together, she'll just be like, "Boom, boom, 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 done." And I'll be like, "Hmm, I wonder if I should. Uh, I wonder if I should uh, expand to the sheep tile, or if I mm-hmm. should. Oh, this coastal tile looks good. Oh, but if I get the coastal tile, maybe I should look up to see how this will impact my two uh, oh conflicting God, wonders. And I go, oh, but, but, but you forever to play a game of Civ. it takes me a long time to play a game of Civ. And despite that oh. wifey over here, kits my keister every damn time. She is so much. She just has this kind of civilization intuition. I don't know how she does it. I played real time strategy before I played turn based. Hmm. I grew up on real time. Remember? True enough. Warcraft I- two. Age of Empires, Age of Mythology. Well, I played my fair share of Civ 1 for DOS, but not, not that much, I guess. More than I never that. played much of Civ 1. I missed the odd-numbered Civs. I never played Civ 1, 3, and haven't played Civ 5 yet. But Civ 2 and 4 are fantastic. And every every one of them played... is fantastic. They're all wonderful. Mm-hmm. Okay. Have you ever played um, Colonization or Call to Power? Yes. I missed out on both yeah, shows. I played, I played Colonial, Civilization Colonial. Colonization? Yeah. I played a little bit. That was about... Um, that was from America? Like, it takes place in America? Yeah, and it's more of a, you have X number of turns to uh, build up your armed forces Oh, it's like for the, the Europeans revolution. versus the natives or something oh, like that? Oh, that's interesting. No, it's the revolution. And you're trying to get some help from uh, the French. It is? Yeah, get the French. That's how much I played. I only just dipped my toe into it. Mm-hmm. Did you enjoy that one, Ben? I never played it. I've always sort of seen it. That and Call to Power. I think I bought Call to Power on GOG recently, thinking, oh, I really should... I'm catching up on my Civ games. I played Alpha Centauri the first time a few weeks ago, probably a month or even longer ago, and was completely addicted to it for a whole week and then had to delete it because I thought, I need to have a life again. <laughs> and, I remember yeah, from, Alpha Centauri's great. For many, many years, Alpha Centauri was PC Gamer Magazine's 
highest ever rated game at uh-huh. ni- 98%. They love that game so much. Yeah. They also loved it- colonization. They adored that game. Mm-hmm. Okay. I found Alpha Centauri was kind of weird. We've, I've digressed again, but that's, that's okay. Um, I found it kind of weird because I'm, I'm noticing the systems in it a lot more than I ever w- ever had as a kid. As a kid, I playing Civ 2, which is probably the closest thing that I've played to Alpha Centauri, um, same designer, Brian Reynolds, mm-hmm. um, I really thought oh, each of these races was very different and each game was very different. But in Alpha Centauri, I really started noticing the patterns. Like by the end, I was just like, I know what you're going to do. I know what's coming. And I sort of felt like I'd looked behind the curtain a bit. I don't know if it's just Alpha Centauri or if I've played enough Civilization now that I know the tricks, like I can see the strings being pulled. And it was really interesting to see that happen and sort of take that into account as part of the gameplay. It's interesting once you get so used to a set of systems that you're playing with the systems rather than like, oh, it's a strategy game and I have to adapt on the fly. Mm-hmm. I think so, that is also yeah. a matter of which difficulty you're playing on because each, like, he, Sid Meier likes to put, like, ten different difficulty levels into his <laughs> yeah. games and they all sort of have their own plateau where he, like, yeah. willfully decides if you're in this situation, the computer could cream you by doing this, but because you're at this difficulty level, it just doesn't consider that. Yeah. yeah in fact, it even has uh, plateaus for when you're starting out, which determine if you have a starting advantage, if you're on equal footing, or if the computer has a starting advantage. Right. Mm-hmm. I kind of, when I played Alpha Centauri, I kind of did the the scared newbie thing where I started playing on the easiest difficulty level, and then once I'd won a game, I moved up a difficulty level, like moved up a notch, and then once I'd won a game in that, moved the difficulty level up a notch. So you kind of get new... It's interesting how the game introduces new systems as you increase the difficulty level. Mm-hmm. There's stuff like... I noticed in Alpha Centauri, there's things like if if the first time building a unit on a more than a second or first difficulty level, you start having to pay a prototype fee where it costs twice as much because it's the first time you've ever made it, which is really interesting. So that was cool to see the game expand as my confidence expanded and I knocked the difficulty level up notch by notch. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, that's I'm, I play guitar and I tell you play guitar. You learn a part at slow and then you knock the metronome up 5 BPM and then you play it again a little tiny bit faster. So mm-hmm. that's how I learn. Well, Ben, I will tell you what I told Anatoly, which is... Uh, I uh, cautiously recommend to use Civ Five because okay. I, I'm cautious about uh, recommending it to Anatoly because he said he never wants to play a Civilization game again because he know he knows he'll get hooked on it because he loves it so so much. <laughs> so he'd rather just not taste that whatsoever than binge yeah, on it. Yeah, it's a real real danger. Civ Four got me for a long time. Four is phenomenally good. They're all phenomenally good, and each one is a little different and. Usually a little better. And Civ Five is yeah. very cool. The last one I played a lot of was Three, and me and my dad both played it like a ton, and that was all we played for a long time. It's phenomenal. Three, I love Three. That was the first one that let you do a cultural victory. Yes, that's was that's what I always wanted to get. Me too. I didn't like fighting anybody. It's me too. Exactly. That's my downfall in Civilization. I don't like fighting people. <laughs> They're such pacifists. So I'm, I'm horrible. I'm like, I played in 82 hours. The first, <laughs> the first time I played Alpha Centauri, I picked the guy and it's like this nature loving race, everything like that. And I was just a 
miserable warlord. Like, people try and call me up for peace treaties and stuff, and I'm like, no, nah, you're getting smashed. You'll be crushed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I remember playing um, co-op, not co-op, like, land games of Red Alert with my brother and Command and Conquer Tiberian Sun and stuff. Mm. And he would always just want to build bases in a peaceful setting, and I'd just be out for blood. It's hard to be a pacifist in those games. Yeah, it really is. He was like, I love the base building. He especially liked Tiberian Sun because you could like lay down concrete floors and <laughs> you know put down walls and things like this and build a really nice base. And I just wanted to blast everything. I should have got him Stronghold. He'd probably like that, just building your base politely. Even the Sims. Okay, send in the invaders. Yeah, perhaps even the Sims. Oh, he loves The Sims. The yeah, and you know so what? The interesting thing about The Sims is that he will only play the first The Sims. The very the first one, one huh? Yeah, that's the only one he likes. No expansions or anything. He said, oh, no, that's got enough to keep me happy. Huh. He's a very like, zen state of existence. He is officially EA's public enemy number one. <laughs> yeah, he's, they get no money out of him because he's, he's borrowed my copy of The First Sims. I'm not going to play that. Are you kidding me? He's the antithesis to their model. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, but I think Good on everything him. I've been playing, I've been I've played a little bit of, um, oh, what's it called, Oli Oli Two, but that's a bit. Of, I haven't played that much this week. I've been drawing a lot, and I've been I've been out every night pretty much. Mm. How miserable! What nerd am I? <laughs> Disgusting. Uh, really? Yeah, that's. What's a social life? What's it like I to know. have one of those? Yeah. Oh, it's exhausting. You don't get to play any of the games you want to play. <laughs> don't do it. I highly recommend just staying at home and playing games. Same here. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's enough of me rambling about what I've played. <laughs> I think. Well, thank you, f- uh, thank you for sharing. <laughs> Meanwhile, I have been defuffing myself. Just, uh, you sure you're not just you know imagining it at this point? Because I don't see anything. Maybe on. I am. I don't know. I have these like perpetual clingy fluff sensations on me ever since <laughs> using that towel. Itchy now. <laughs> Nice shower too. <laughs> All right. Well, while I continue to to remove my phantom fluffs, why don't you, Bianca dearest, <laughs> tell us what you've been playing this week? Yeah. Well, before I go into what I've been playing, I will. Reiterate that I have played Civilization Five, including all of the expansions, for a grand total of total of four hundred and eighty-two hours. That oh my wow. god, that's awesome! She's an achievement hunter too. The most friggin' insidious, diabolical thing a person could possibly do is to add achievements to Civilization. <laughs> that is mean. And I only have sixty-six percent of the achievements. What's the last achievement you got in Civ? Uh, god is great, which is to build a thousand temples. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, I also unlocked the achievement to have the longest name possible in that game, which is you mean you have to build like 31 cities as the Celts. Oh, it's that city where that weatherman was just in the news for pronouncing it correctly the first time? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I saw that. The Welsh one. Yeah. That was awesome. That guy's a superhero. He smashed that name out. He didn't even pause for breath. Yeah. That's a That's a real man. Very impressive. So, let's see. This week, Quiplash and Joffle, of course. Of course. That's what got the worm, Brian, which is what gave Brian the worm ear. Ear worm. Worm ear. <laughs> ear worm, yeah. Worm ear, um, like an infection. I know. I'm itchy enough with a freaking towel. You don't have to tell me about worm ear. <laughs> uh, I played a bit of Diablo. They have uh, season four out now, and I, uh, I rolled myself a uh, wizard, and I was getting 
fed up with how slow I was leveling. I was only at level 19. I uh, convinced uh, Brian to play with me. We went on Torment 2, up from Expert, and uh, <laughs> he was 49 when he came to join me, so I went from 19 to level 42 in one playthrough wow, because of... Yeah, because he... And this was on the difficult... And this was in my game, on my difficulty. He wasn't powering level me in his game. Oh, yeah. Why don't you... Um why don't you tell our listeners what the uh, Diablo Three Seasons are? Uh, basically, the Diablo Three Seasons are um, are separate from the regular Diablo game. You get a new character and you start fresh, and you basically build your character up from ground from the ground. You uh, do everything from scratch, and then there are different uh, milestones and uh, objectives to achieve throughout the season, and you get different awards and legendaries for doing so. And at the end of the season, your character enters your regular character pool, and is at, and anything that they've achieved is added to what your char- other characters have. Yeah, that's right. So usually in Diablo three, you create a character and you play with him, whatever, and then you create a new character, and anything you put into your stash, your bank, is accessible to both of those characters. Uh-huh. And after you've gotten to maximum level, which is a hundred, no, uh, seventy, seven, seventy now, then there's another like leveling thing where you get, what's it called? Paragon levels or something like, yeah, Paragon levels, which every time you get a Paragon level, you get to add one tiny little incremental improvement to all your characters. So maybe you run a little bit faster, or maybe you have higher intelligence or something. Um, so that's available to all your characters. But if you create a seasonal character, then you don't get any of those benefits at all. So it makes the game a lot more difficult, and you start really fresh from the ground up. So that's kind of a nice challenge. So yeah. you and I don't usually care about the seasons because we kind of play that game and let it go for a while. Yeah, but well, just something different to do for a while. So I rolled, I rolled a wizard. I keep I kept forgetting and calling it a mage or warlock because I've been playing uh, War- World of Warcraft as well. Mm-hmm. I uh, got, oh yeah, in World of Warcraft I got uh, my favorite hunter, a Draenei of course, of course. up to Space, uh, goat. Space Goat, up to level 100. <laughs> So I'm happy, and I'm still playing with her. When you when you get to level 100, does the stool pass? <laughs> I would... The look. That is the what, look, I, ladies I, and gentlemen. I, the look. Like what now, happens with the stool is between me and the outhouse, and whoever happens to be in the outhouse at the same time in my oh. garrison. Because for some reason, all my, the uh, the NPCs in my garrison have no concept of privacy and will enter the outhouse when I'm there. You said the stool is between you and the outhouse. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what else am I playing? Um, well, I got myself a uh, lovely sim slash apocalyptic game called 60 Seconds. <laughs> oh, this game is such a cool concept. Oh, it's, it has got really adorable graphics. And the tut- even the tutorial is pretty good. It's called the Atomic Drill. And it, uh, you get an achievement for doing these tutorials. So normally, me hating tutorials, I would avoid it. But since there was A, an achievement, and B, it actually told you how to play the game and let you do it at the same time. And the tutorial was not interf- and did not interfere at all with gameplay. I'm like, okay, let's do this. So you, you being the, the masculine patriarch of your 1950s household, have the uh, distinct duty of uh, duty <laughs> of uh, rounding up your plucky family, your wife, and your two uh, uh, children, Timmy and Mary Mary Sue, so, and going into your little bunker underneath the house. So you have to gather them as well as 
cans of soup, water, and various provisions so you can survive until the military finds you. So, the what you can get to the what you get into your uh, shelter depends on how how well you make use of your time. Because if you don't make good use of your time, you may either pardon me. <laughs> Fail to make it there, not grab the right, fa- not grab all your family members, or just forget different supplies. Because you can have people go insane if you don't have stuff to keep them entertained. <laughs> uh, people, uh, your family, if you don't have all your family members, uh, you don't have, you lose, you uh, have a chance of not surviving completely because all four have the ability to go into the world and uh, do various tasks, but only one at a time. Yeah, it's kind of got like an Oregon Trail feel to it, except that you you sit still cool. instead of going out. Yeah, and you have a radio. If you have a radio, it helps you keep con- tabs on if the military is uh, going to be evacuating. Unfortunately, the radio has a chance to break. What's the uh, time period of this game, by the way? Because it kind of has this, like, Cold War... It is? I said 1950s. Is it? Okay. Because, yeah, it has this whole, like, uh, Soviet thing kind of overtones to it. Okay. Yeah, it's supposed to be... Uh, you know, the, the Soviets are going to drop a nuclear bomb on the United States, and now we have to get everyone into their uh, bomb shelters. So, as I said, you're the plucky uh, patriarch, and your job is to gather all these very supplies to get you in. And if you're really smart, you and you grab the suitcase, you have a chance of getting additional items that you would have had to leave behind if you hadn't if you hadn't grabbed the suitcase. So, one round run through, I hadn't I grabbed the suitcase, but I hadn't grabbed some other items. So. Luckily enough, in the suitcase, I got a chessboard, the Boy Scouts guide, and a flashlight. Every item actually has a specific use and has different applicability depending on the scenario. And once you're in the shelter, you actually have uh, you have to ration out water and food daily, and uh, what and the amount of food and uh, the amount of soup and water you have depends on what you're able to get in the first place and what you're able to get when you scavenge in the world. Mm-hmm. So you and there's also a chance to encounter mutants, which I haven't yet. Ooh. There's a chance that uh, you can even have one of your family that uh, if your family member doesn't go insane, they might run away. I hadn't uh, been giving my the daughter or something to drink for like three or four days, and so she got really, <laughs> really mad at me and ran away. Oh, <laughs> as as happens in real life. Right. Yeah. Is the name of the game um, relevant to uh, time in the game? Oh yeah. Why is it called sixty seconds? Because uh, you at the patriarch. Only have 60 seconds to gather as much as the stuff as you can grab from your uh, little uh, cozy bungalow. God, I can't, I can't do anything in 60 seconds in, at all. It's a really I've cool idea because there's like serious ramifications for what you do in that yeah, very Yeah, and the thing time. is, what's in- really interesting is if, you're not, if you don't care about the achievements, if you're smart, you can basically grab everything you need and survive and leave your children behind. Your children... Are worth less than a can of soup and a bottle of water. <laughs> like the only good your children are for is if you if the parents are really badly injured, and then you can send little plucky Tommy or uh, Mary Jane or whatever her name is, a uh, little fat buck, out into the world to get supplies. <laughs> no loving parents. What's what's the longest you've lived in the game? Uh, forty days or so. Oh, you any idea? Is it a finite amount of time, or do you just kind of go uh, continue till you're dead? You continue until until you uh, until the military rescues you. Uh, so if you're able to get out and uh, pick up a phone or answer the door, the military can save you. But if there's no one there to really do it, then you're kind of stuck in a shelter, especially if you're only one person. 
if you're two people at least, then you can have some the healthier person of the two go and and see if there's uh, someone there to save you. Hmm. So it is kind of interesting if you, because uh, you can't really go out and get stuff if you're um, by yourself. Because if you do, everyone, it's effective game over, everybody perishes. But, uh, and then of course, so in addition to the, so then there's th four different game modes. Atomic Joe, which is a tutorial. There's uh, the Apocalypse, which is, which is the uh, scavenge and survival. Then there's just a scavenge, which is the which in which you have sixty seconds to just practice gathering everything you have and get it into the uh, bunker. And you get points for having gotten your family and food and basic supplies. And then you can, or you can skip the uh, scavenge mode and go straight into just survival as a mode by itself. And there's a, uh, and depending on the difficulty, you either have all four family members and a well-stocked shelter. Uh, most family members and uh, an okay stock shelter. And if you pick the hard, hardest difficulty, you'll probably have somewhere between two and four family. Two, you'll probably have about two or three family members and a very badly stocked shelter, which mm -hmm. means that you have to risk sending somebody out. What is there an option to eat little Timmy if you run out of soup? <laughs> no, <laughs> but you can send little Timmy yeah. out into the uh, unforgiving world with nothing but uh, the clothes on his back and his Boy Scout book. No, come back, man. I think if you send little Timmy out, I don't think you could trust someone that young with the responsibility of finding food. You'd actually be safer eating him. He <laughs> actually came back with food. Mary Jane didn't. Oh. Mm. Well, eat her. Yeah. <laughs> well, she is, little, she is a little fat buck, so why not? <laughs> and let me see. What else did I play? Is um, this on PC? I've never heard yes, of it is. It just came out, didn't it? 60 seconds? Yeah, it's uh, pretty recent. What else I play? Oh yeah, I played a game which I like to lovingly refer to as "find the shit." Oh it's a, uh, it's a. Uh, these are usually called hidden object games, but I prefer to call it "find the shit" because that's all <laughs> it is. Is you're looking for the shit, and it can, doesn't matter what the shit is. It's, it always you know, is shit too. It's like you're on a murder investigation. They're like, <laughs> yeah, you need a pineapple, three umbrellas, a hammer, and a horseshoe. <laughs> Exactly. Why is this helpful? How is this helping me solve the like murder? Charles Manson's chasing you, but I need a weather vane and a pinata. I'm yeah, And it's on the roof. One's on the roof, and the other one is like hidden on the ground. Yeah, and, it's, and the weather vane is the one that's on the ground, and the pineapple's on the roof. Yeah, of course. Like <laughs> hidden in the paint. Who puts these pineapples in these places? Some jerk. Yeah. So this one was which version? Which game was this? Oh yes, it was called. The, where the hell? Oh, sorry, I'm scrolling around here. Yeah, I'll just look at my notes. Is this it? Alchemy Mysteries. Yeah, Alchemy Mysteries. Prague legend. So there was actually that some sort of like every casual game thing ever. I know. I think every other name was taken, so this is what they had to pick. Like, <laughs> yeah. And uh, this one even tried to throw in a story. And like, it's like, I don't fucking care about the story. The voice acting is horrible. I just want to it is. Oh, it was so bad. It was almost like they tried they found the worst voice actors to play the translation of this. It was like they were so mechanical and bland. <laughs> But you finished it. I, yeah, I finished it because I wanted to find the shit and see. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> finding the shit, right shit is really. I I really really like finding the shit. It's like uh, this is my new name for the genre. I've, I've adopted that now. <laughs> but it's like it's it's better than playing solitaire. Like it's I don't a, need a set of rules. Just give me shit to click on and I'll click on it. Exactly. But the only reason I finished it was just so I could get all the achievements. There are fifteen achievements, and I got every single one of them because I didn't use a hint to find anything. 
I'm right. just looking over at Bianca's Steam list here. She's like an avid user of categories in her Steam list. So what do we have here? We have Find the Shit. We have Caterific. Caterific. <laughs> oh, we have three kinds of... Oh, PNC Adventure. Is that point and click? Yeah. What else we got? Scroll down, please. Scroll down. There, there must be more shit. Oh, there's Shoot the Germans. That's a category. Oh, my God. Shoot the humans. Shoot the shit. How is German separate from human? <laughs> That's what he said. I'm pretty sure I asked her that. Because <laughs> I have, because I have a bunch of World War II games. That's why. Oh, it is. It is. I've always thought in those games that they really don't present Nazis as human beings. They present them as like shooting zombies. You're not. Ex- they don't ever, ever, um, really allow them to become humans at any point. It, like, well, unless you play Wolfenstein New Order. The new, the new Wolfenstein game? No, I, I just ordered that the other day for PS3, so I'm it excited. It's so good. And finish it. It is so, so good. Oh, and to, to, to your point specifically, Ben, in the there are two of these new Wolfenstein games. Uh, the New Order, Order and, and the Old Blood, which I'm working my way through still. Oh, so the Old Blood starts off with this amazing gag where one Nazi is correcting the grammar of the other Nazi. Oh, no. And so they no, don't come out and no, say no. it, but it's very heavily implied exactly what that is. And it's yeah, such no. a human, hilarious moment. Yeah. And it's because they want to, like, uh, you, the, the guy's like, you have to be sure to maintain the, the purity of our perfect language. So it's such a, such a Nazi way to say it, too. It was so funny. Yeah. Great games. And let's see. Oh, yes. And I've also been playing with the P- with our uh, DS, our XLDS, because uh, Brian got uh, has a copy of uh, the well, the fan translated copy of uh, Miles Edgeworth, uh, Ace Attorney Investigations, the Prosecutors. Oh, yeah. What? Yeah, that's yeah number two, right? The yeah. second. Yeah, it's called Ace Attorney. Yeah, Prosecutors. Saiban too, right? Yeah, Prosecutors Pat. <laughs> That's right. And it wasn't so, released in, in English, but some fan translators like made this uh, hacked ROM that allows you to play it on an emulator or on your real Game Boy uh, DS. Fan translations are so cool. This one is especially good, isn't it? It's pretty good. The only... And I'm enjoying it so far, and because it's Edgeworth, and my... And we'll talk about why I like Edgeworth in a while when we actually get into favorite characters. But uh, the only stupid part about this so far is the fucking logic chess. Yeah, right. Every one of these, every one of the Phoenix Wright games has some sort of a mini game where you get the truth out of someone who's lying, right? Yeah, you. Like, so this- let's see. If you're if you're playing as Phoenix Wright, you have to use the me- Mag- Megatama to. Uh, to extract the truth and unlock the the uh, the soul the uh, locks on somebody's heart, so they reveal the truth to you. Yeah. <laughs> if you're Apollo Justice, you have you look for little, little twitches that tell you the person's lying because you have like twitch vision. You can like, zoom in on. That was the, the best one. That was the best one where you find the little uh, the, the little physical twitch, yeah. uh, abnormalities that show that they're lying. They're tell. That was a cool that one. It actually sounds like a decent and relevant minigame when mm-hmm. so many are not. Yeah, but with this one, Logic Chess, essentially, you're not actually playing chess. You're just uh, using, you're just waiting for the person to uh, drop hints in what they're saying. So then you turn their, uh, you turn their words around on them. And say, but you already said this, so. And you basically get them to tell the truth by reminding them of some other stupid shit they already said. Oh, is it kind of similar to that FMV mystery game we played, Contradiction? Yeah. Okay. 
Okay, that's it. That actually sounds but more interesting. But with the twist the that you have shifts. to watch their body language, mm-hmm. and you don't press if they if they're either agitated or they're showing some sort of emotion that's like a defensive. Oh, emotion. you're not allowed to press every statement anymore. Uh, you are allowed to press, but you don't do it if they're showing some sort of emotion mm. that's their defensive. Oh, you wait until they've let their guard down, and then you press the attack. Oh, the idea is just to wait for them to uh, op- give you an opening. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So it, for, it uh, gets you to not just mindlessly press forward, but to observe the uh, character's uh, reaction. For example, hmm. uh, Nicole, the first girl you uh, encounter that's not Kay Faraday, is um, is very aggressive when you confront her. And so you wait for her to drop that facade, and then you press forward. The next person you encounter, the president... <laughs> Sorry, our birds are being adorable. <laughs> um, he's very boisterous and uh, and forceful. So you wait for him to relax, and then you press the attack forward. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> oh, by the way, I want to I want to give a shout out to the uh, composer of the uh, Phoenix Wright games. It's a woman by the name of Noriyuki Iwadare. Amazing, wonderful music in the in these games. Every single one of them. Mm-hmm. I'll, uh, I'll, I've actually. Go ahead. I've been meaning to play them for so long and another one of those things that's on my to playlist, but they look exactly like my kind of thing. They're so. really good. Especially if you're doing the persona thing, but this is kind of a different change of pace, I guess, because there's no combat. It's really a visual novel with a little bit of investigation and uh, courtroom it sounds stuff. just yeah. like my thing. Like a point really like adventure it. where you have to combine the right things with the... Uh, instead of combining two objects to get to solve the puzzle, you combine... A statement, a contradiction with an object to prove the contradiction. Ah, oh, that's that's nice. That's a good system. Yeah, I remember Dave Gilbert from Wajedi saying that he oh, he he, he loves these games. About them to me a lot. Yeah, mm-hmm. but one thing that really struck a chord with me that he mentioned was that he liked how these games, which are very long and which are intended to be played on a mobile device, do a good job of reiterating some facts, mm-hmm. assuming that you've put it down for a few days and picked it up again and need a refresher. Yeah. And they just work that into the dialogue. I never really noticed that. That's a very astute observation. I noticed the same in Persona. It's funny because Dave is always, always, like, when he works with writers, he's always hammering them to, like, stop repeating yourself, stop repeating yourself, stop repeating yourself. Hmm. So when he played those games, I think he really noticed it because – a lot of the times you find people write dialogues where they have a lot of repetition needlessly mm-hmm. and he tries to cut that out so you get sort of punchy, snappy, movie-style dialogue. But, um, yeah, he started playing those. like, man, everyone's doing the opposite of what I tell everybody to do. So I think that was a lesson in, to him in how sometimes things, like you said, on a mobile device, it's totally different because you play for 20 minutes on the train. Yeah, it's relevant to the medium, I suppose, because he's probably mm. uh, using advice that he got about a novel or a, a film or something like that, how to write for those media. But uh, yeah. the, because games are so much longer, they're two or three or 10 or 20 or 50 times longer. You have to Games are so long. Imagine playing, imagine a movie that went for 40 hours. You'd never watch that. Imagine, I know. Even the Phoenix Wright games. How long was it? How long's an average Phoenix Wright game? Would you say? Uh, it's a good like twelve or fifteen hours. Yeah, I would I say would it's all dialogue, hours. and it's not even voice acted. It's like fifteen hours of reading. Mm-hmm. Mm. They're like voluminous. Well, I guess that's part of the medium is that it takes longer because you're doing the decisions yourself. 
Hmm. Yeah, and you have to, and what's really nice is you have is uh, the answers aren't really or sometimes obvious, but sometimes aren't. You just have to look through and just review everything you have and and try and think about what doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Or you do what I do, which is you use everything on every sentence anyone ever says, and then you win. <laughs> That's the brute force yeah. method. Of- and this is one. This is another game where you save every time you get something right, because otherwise you lose a metric but, but ton of progress. Yeah, that's right. You have like a health bar or something, where or a number of finite chances where if you say the wrong thing, then it basically gets fed up with you. Yep. Wow, that's yeah. interesting. And on and uh, related to this game, I thought we probably mentioned before that all our birds, with an exception of one, are pretty much named after characters in this game. Oh yes, they are. <laughs> and so the only birds we have right now who do have names from the characters in this game are Apollo, referring to Apollo Justice, and Maxie, whose, na- whose proper full name is Maximilian Maxie Galactica. Yeah. That is a hell of a name oh. for a bird. A little it's a tiny very, It's a very, very flamboyant magician character in uh, Phoenix, right? Yeah, Maximilian you know, Galactica. yes, our street parakeet has that, duh. Oh. <laughs> Sounds like a name. guy I saw at an art show on Friday. He was like a flamboyant magician. He looked like something out of an Ace of Phoenix, right? Or Ace Attorney game. It was incredible. <laughs> cool. Mm. Is that everything like, you played, I think that's just about everything I played. And the stool shall pass. The stool shall pass. All right. You just pass the stool over to me. The stool passes to Brian. <laughs> Wait, but the longest movie ever done is 240 hours, which what? is 10 days. What? That's not. What movie it's, is this? It's, it's an ex- it, Wikipedia has a list of longest films, and that's the one, the first one under experimental films. The longest cinematic film is 14 hours and 33 minutes, and it's called Resound the Journey. That's a journey. I thought Lawrence of Arabia was long. I thought Gone with the Wind was long. <laughs> and then, there's, of course, there's the whole Lord of the Rings uh, trilogy. Yeah. Well, that one, that one they've got listed under films released in separate parts, ah. um, but conceived as an artistic unity and produced simultaneously with no interruption or change of production team. So Lord of the Rings is 11 hours and 21 minutes. Oh, wow. Gosh. I would eat so much popcorn. <laughs> that's a lot of and, a lot, lot of and our birds would destroy so much popcorn oh our birds love popcorn who oh, doesn't birdies alright so what have I been playing I'll be quick I was playing a little bit with a Nintendo emulator uh, early this week and of all the games to pick up I tried out one that I think I mentioned briefly when Bianca and I did our episode about console games yeah. it's by Konami for the Nintendo Entertainment mm-hmm. System called Double Dribble Double Dribble <laughs> what is that? I don't know. Double dribbling. Oh, oh you're dribbling. <laughs> yeah, it does sound kind of infantile. It's a uh, basketball game. Sorry? Let's just make noises. What? <laughs> it's kind of weird. That, that So it's a basketball game. It's funny. Like, double dribble is like a foul. It's like a thing that you do not want to do in basketball. Yeah. What it's a weird icing. thing. That's a weird... It's like but having a hockey game and calling it penalty. That's really strange. Yeah. Or it's it's like a skiing. no, it's like having a hockey game and calling it icing. I guess so. Or it's like having a skiing game and calling it like stabbing yourself with a with a with a pole. <laughs> that's, that's a great name for a game: stabbing yourself with a ski pole. Yeah, I, I play that. <laughs> Greatest the the 
bestseller this summer. I you can't you can't sell a a, a, a skiing game in the summer. Be sensible. You, you're only, you're not going to stab yourself with a ski pole in the summer. Yeah, well, uh, some of them is winter for the rest. Oh, of that's true. Okay, <laughs> I will see it different. I will give you the Australian benefit of the doubt on this one. Yeah, uh, it's it's like it's forty degrees Celsius when you guys have Chris when we have Christmas here. Wow. So how the hell are you going to go skiing then? Well, maybe, um, maybe they won't. Water skiing. We go water skiing. Ah. Mm-hmm. That's the only skiing I've ever done. Oh, you are missing out. Snow skiing no, you're not. is phenomenal. I love it's snow horrible. skiing. It's horrible. It's cold to get down your drawers and it gets in your <laughs> boots. It's wet, cold, and icy. That's the point. It's disgusting. It's cold and it's all... Uh, I hate it. Skiing rules, you drool. So, you, double you dribble. You drool and you double drool. <sighs> Thank you for that segue. Double dribble. So I played this basketball game on on uh, NES, and I'm not really a sports fan by any means, but this is an awesome, fantastic uh, game. Um, it's like simplified basketball, but it's, I don't know, what is it, five on five or whatever? It's like the full team size, as far as I know. I don't know how big a basketball team is, but it looked like a full team. Um, then the cool thing about it is that whenever you do a slam dunk, whenever you run up to the... Uh, to the basket and you jump in the air and you do your slam dunk, it gives you a series of like slideshow close-ups that sort of look like a, like a slideshow video kind of, of, uh, wait on the NES. Video. Yeah. That's incredible. I really want to say that now. That sounds incredible. It's beautiful. These little close-up things are really cool. It's like four frames of animation, but it's like full screen, very detailed animation. It's a great game. That's I really so recommend wonderful. it. Yeah, it's excellent. I, wanna, I really want to look that up now, just to see the close-up stuff, because I've never heard of an NES game doing that. And it's one of those rare instances where, of course, when you look at the box of the game, it has one of those like high, relatively high-res close-up pictures on it. You're like, oh, the whole game looks like this. But then yeah. when you actually play the game, you're not even disappointed, because it's that good of a game. Anybody that has seen any box art in the 80s or 90s knows dishonesty. That's right. The, the, They've seen it first the, the two seconds of the best possible arts is what goes on the, on hmm. the box. One, well, even even when I do game graphics now, the only thing that keeps me in, like, the only the biggest quality control ever is knowing that some journalist somewhere is going to use whatever scene you're like, oh, this is just a two-second scene that they walk through once. I can just, like... I can just sort of relax on this one and paint whatever. No, someone somewhere is going to use it as a screenshot. Do not ever phone a scene in. Ah. Always do your best because some journalist somewhere is going to be like, oh, I'll put this screenshot as a screenshot of the game. It literally looks like looks like the stool has passed on the <laughs> It's going to be the – I hope you make that the, the title for this podcast. <laughs> I think I will do so. I will do this indeed. Or, or Ben's grandma in Skyrim. That would be <laughs> <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. I want to play Skyrim now. Anyway, uh, Bianca. That works already, on my grandma. <laughs> Bianca already talked about uh, Diablo three. So the only thing I have left to say about Diablo three is that, in many ways, the art style is similar to Doom, and I would say especially uh, Doom three. It has really cool, like gushy, bloody, diabolical demons and stuff like that. It looks a lot like a. Uh, Adrian Carmack, kind of an art style. So if that's your thing, then you'll really enjoy looking at Diablo 3. What a good game one that thing, is. One thing I really love about, like, old Doom, like Doom 1, hmm. is the textures were just, like, take photographs taken of electronic shit and just, like, stuck that on the wall. It, it looks so cool. 
It, it really does. felt like you're inside of some weird machine. I love that. Yeah, they had really good like metallic textures and stuff like that, and wood. Yeah, they, they I, didn't. I love they the didn't graphics of that game. Like, yeah, and fleshy, meaty walls and stuff. Mm-hmm. I liked it. My favorite was uh, Anatoly posted this on Twitter a little while ago. There's like a a scrolling wall of these like stretched out faces. Yeah, that's gross. So that's cool. That might have been Doom Two, actually. I don't remember. Boy, do I love Doom. I like I like um when you start um Inferno, the third episode of Doom. You like you go through a big demon sphincter to get started. You're just like, <laughs> well, this is going to be fun. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you know I'm what I love now that we're talking about how games start. I love. The very, very first part of Quake, where you choose your difficulty by crossing oh, yeah. those bridges, the and the hardest difficulty, like the bridge is broken and there's lava, so you can actually die while you're choosing your difficulty. That oh, is so cool. That oh, is cool. That's awesome. Uh, so yeah, I mentioned Quiplash already. The only other thing I've been playing, I guess, was I took a crack at some of the like New Game Plus hard modes of 140. I love 140. Oh, that's like the that, that's really that's more difficult than it ought to be. Just going backwards. <laughs> <laughs> Bianca likes to make fun of the various syncopations while I'm playing the game, so I'm trying to like tap my foot to the four four beat and kind of get a hold of uh, exactly when I can expect the platform to move or something to squish me, and she'll be like kind of off off uh, <laughs> rhythm doing okay. all these little <laughs> dance dances. Usually dance 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 dance. <laughs> so she likes to troll me in 140, which sucks in the hard mode because the hard mode isn't really much more difficult than the regular mode, except that you only get one life and then you have to start all over again. So and don't you go backwards? Right? Yes, that's right. It's mirrored, mm-hmm. which that's is which shouldn't be that hard. But in my experience, mirroring things is. I remember I first noticed this in Need for Speed Three. I think it was. Where they're like, oh. oh, yeah, it's the same track, but it's mirrored. And I was like, oh, what a cheat. That's not going to make it any more interesting. And then you drive it and go, I have no idea what I'm doing or where I'm going. <laughs> I think that was number two. It might have been. I say I only had ever had the normal edition of Need for Speed 2 until last year. I finally mm. got the special edition of Need for Speed 2, and I haven't played it yet. Oh, that, the special edition is the only one I've ever played, and from what I understand, what makes the special edition is my fav- one of my favorite racing levels of all time, which is through this kind of Universal Studios sort of an amusement park. Oh, that thing. is such a great level. Oh, that is the shit, man. That is awesome. I think, I think that's one of the first levels, because I never played, I was never good at racing games, ever. Me I was neither. so bad at them. Me too. And then I really, like, focused on Never Speed 2 and, like, played a lot of it. Oh, and that, I think that's one of the first levels I ever unlocked, which was... It was hard to unlock stuff in that game, but I unlocked the car and the and the level. <laughs> that was the only two things you could unlock in that game, and I was really proud of myself. Oh, yeah, it was unlockable. That's right. It was like a hidden level or whatever. Yeah, I think you had to come first in a championship oh, or I a tournament, whatever they call it. But oh, anyway, yeah, one good of my, game. One of my parents is bobbing her head at me, so I bob my head back at her, and we kind of – we're both doing this sort of like uh, head-banging, yep, yep, yep thing at each other. <laughs> Hi, Jimmy. Who's a bird? Okay, so. Why don't we talk to my cat? (laughs) We talked to our cat when we had one. (laughs) Yes, of course. And why don't you just uh, say what happened with our bird this week that way? Because you said you wanted to mention on the podcast. Oh, that's right. So, um, Maxie, our youngest bird, our, our little hatchling bird, we actually hatched her from an egg and raised her 
Mm-hmm. When she was little, I, I remember seeing so photos. That was so cute. Oh, oh she's the sweetest cute. little birdie. Well, she was the sweetest little birdie. Now she's the biggest budgie that I think our vet had almost ever seen. <laughs> she's just like huge hulking budgie. She's almost twice the size of uh, Apollo, her little girlfriend. Oh, so um, Maxie has an interesting psychology because with budgies, apparently, what what's supposed to happen is that baby budgies will live with their parents in the wild until they can fly, and then the parents. I don't know if it's literally or figuratively, like, shove them out of, like, the hole in the tree where they live. They fledge the children, which is perfectly normal. They, they get them to uh, fly. With yeah. The child, if, the, if, the, uh, if the chick doesn't voluntarily step out of the nest, they'll push them out as, yeah. as a uh, fledging uh, thing. That's right. So the, the, the chick will either fly and, and uh, thrive or will probably fall and get eaten by something. So, and that's usually the last that the parents ever see of the child. But um, because we owned both the parents and the baby... The baby had nowhere else to go because they're all in our apartment. And so there was a strange situation going on where, um, uh, yeah, Maxie was still with her parents. And her parents were kind of fed up with her. And that's why we had to, unfortunately, give away her parents to another loving family mm-hmm. just because we didn't want to disrupt things too much. So Maxie never mm-hmm. really kind of developed psychologically properly because she was always around her parents and was asking our other birds to feed her. And even though she was the, the biggest budgie <laughs> in the whole house, she was acting like an immature little baby. So we had a little bit of a maturity breakthrough this week when uh, Maxie was uh, flirting with and regurgitating for Apollo, Apollo yeah. which is something that budgies do either to proclaim romantic intentions or just to uh, be sociable and friendly. They yeah, like, like barf for each other. Yeah, it's not necessarily a courting thing, but in this case, it's just to initiate a bonding because they're friends and they're going to protect each other. Mm-hmm. So the, we were talking about Brian regurgitating before. This seems like it's... <laughs> <laughs> it could be. Well, now we're talking about Maxi regurgitating. So, so Kelsey, we actually, Kelsey, if you ever actually, find yourself in a position uh, where there is an amorous Australian near you, beware, because they may barf to impress you. <laughs> I, don't, I do not vomit to impress people, I promise you. <laughs> I've, we actually I've, have budgies in the wild here. Like It's not often, but it's springtime coming up, and so in a month or two we'll have budgies, like flocks of them flying oh, past. Them. Oh, that sounds awesome. I think they're like the most yeah. angelic, gorgeous little creatures. I love them so much. They're, very they're so bright, too. You always, you always see them when you go past. Oh, yeah. They're almost neon-colored. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you get these swarms of little birds, like twenty of them at a time. Oh, that's it, twenty. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you get twenty here, and then you go down the road, and you get another twenty. That's amazing. We get mostly, we get mostly like more parrots. You get and uh, galahs. We get, we get like swarms of two hundred galahs just flying. Past. Those are beautiful. The pink ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pink and gray. They're gorgeous. All right, dear. Yes. Uh, Kenny is begging me to pet her. So how would you like to introduce our, our topic and invite one of our guests to begin? Okay. And I'm going to pet the birdie. <laughs> Kenny, you're a good girl. <laughs> because apparently the bird doesn't need to safe, fed, <laughs> otherwise helped. So now I no longer need it. I'm only here because you want to be protected from the evil budgie. Hi, birdie. You're always a pretty girl. Today's topic, if Ben's done talking... <laughs> is favorite characters. And since we haven't heard from Kelsey in a while, why don't you start us off? Who are your favorite video game characters? Okay, so when Brian suggested this topic, I made a list. <laughs> That's what we were hoping for. Excellent. Okay. Um, so just start at the top, I guess. 
Sure, go um, ahead. Any yeah, order. Tell us a little about one of them. Okay, so for Baldur's Gate 2, I put Minsk and Mian, especially together. <laughs> um, I'm not familiar because, with these so two. So Minsk, if you are not familiar with the, the game, is yeah, um, a huge barbarian guy with um, a possible head injury and a miniature giant space hamster sidekick. And he is super friendly and wants to kick evil's butt, and that's basically his whole motivation. <laughs> Not a good <laughs> motivation for Zenny. What? That's a good motivation for Zenny. Oh, I agree, totally. And then Jan Janssen is a tiny crossbow shooting gnome who <laughs> has a smart mouth, and um, he always wants to steal Boo from Minsk, and their banter is just really, really good. <laughs> Hmm. It's interesting because Baldur's Gate 2 was really the start of Bioware doing their Bioware thing, character relationships. There was a little bit of it in the first Baldur's Gate, but yeah, Baldur's Gate 2 is really when you get that banter between people. Because Minsk is a crossover from Baldur's Gate 1, and he has a bit of backstory in there. You go and rescue his witch that he's a protector of, who's then no more in the second game, like from the very beginning. So have you ever come across Dinahire, Kelsey? Um, I, I have played the first third or so of Baldur's Gate, so yeah, I, did, I have rescued Dinahar, but uh-huh. I played Baldur's Gate 2 first, so yeah. the first time I ever met her, she was dead on a table, so that was a little yeah. sad. <laughs> yeah. um, so I, I wasn't really sure why Minsk was so upset at the beginning, because they don't really explain that fully, but later you mm-hmm. kind of figure it out through Ari. His relationship with Ari uh-huh. is really nice. So. Yeah, he kind of takes her on as a new under his wing, but that's, his that's... massive manly wing. <laughs> Minsk is a really, I really like Minsk. He's a fun character, and it's just it's cool to see people. One thing I always liked about Baldur's Gate is it's high fantasy, but they don't take it too seriously. They have a lot of fun with it, which is nice. Was the first Baldur's Gate equally lighthearted, or did they take it like did they play it more straight? Uh, I think it's probably more lighthearted. Grind. There's a lot of ridiculous things. Like you go to the fair and there's an exploding exploding ogre as one of the attractions <laughs> yeah. who explodes like repeatedly. I love that guy. That's one of the, that's why I love Baldur's Gate so much because it's all you know Dungeons and Dragons, but at the same time, you really feel the human side. It really feels like there's a dungeon master that's just having a lot of fun with you at the same time. Hmm. So, and Baldur's Gate 2 has got a lot of that as well, as Kelsey said, with like Minsk and, you know, the whole story about the hamster, the miniature giant space hamster, who's really just because he's miniature and giant. Just a miniature <laughs> giant, that's great. Um, yeah, but the, the, the worrying thing about Baldur's Gate 2 is when you, you kind of like get out of the dungeon at the start and you say to Minsk, like, how did you? How do you still have your hamster? He's like, oh, Boo is a small hamster, and Mint has many places to hide. And you're like, oh, <laughs> no. So yeah. Cool. I've, I've said all I'm willing to on that matter. <laughs> <laughs> all right. You want to give us another one, Kelsey? Um. Yeah. Uh. I just um, Planescape Torment. I love Mort, the floating skull. Oh, he's um, such a ham. He is the first person, well, character. Thing. I don't person. <laughs> I guess character. he was a person. He was. <laughs> um, 
you meet in the you wake up in the mortuary and you have no idea who you are and then a floating skull flies up and that would scare me if i was disoriented to begin with mm-hmm. <laughs> and he has like real eyeballs so that's even oh creepier. gosh that's terrifying that so doesn't funny. make sense <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i really like one thing i really like about mort is that he's played for laughs a lot of the time but he also has this really um i guess not not deep but long history with the player character like you wake up as an amnesiac as trite and sort of overdone as that is but there's this real history with mort and as his story unfolds it's probably the most interesting story in the game other than the protagonists um yeah so i really love him for that Hmm. And I like that uh, as you learn more about his story, he's not just comic relief like you think at the beginning. Yeah. He's so much more than that. I don't want to spoil it. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's so it. easy to spoil. I know. And the other character I really love from, from Planescape is Anna because, um, one, she has a tail, and that's really awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and two, like, when you first meet her, she's so hostile toward you it's it's funny but as you go on you can uh develop a really sweet relationship with her that still has a bite to it so i I liked her um more than the other romance option which is fall from grace so anna was just sassier (laughs) fall from grace is lovely too but anna was voiced by sheena easton which is amazing yes what a person to get to voice in a thing in the game. That's but, yeah, great. She, I'm not sure we did anything else. I'm find out. Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> um, but yeah, apparently um, Chris Avalon said that there's two romance options, as Kelsey said, and they were inspired by Betty and Veronica from like Archie Comics. One's uh. really sweet and nice and one's like kind of just snappy and I really like that, how they play against each other. <laughs> but, but Planescape Torment has this thing where Chris Avalon really made it his thing to make everything a kind of contradiction. So Anna is, I'm not even sure. I'm not quite sure what she is, but fall from grace is like, um, she's a succubus, but she's also, she's a tiefling. You're right. And she's, but, um, fall from grace is a succubus, but she's also, um, what's the word for it? Oh, she's chased. So she's a succubus, but she, she doesn't (laughs) even kiss anybody or anything. So, the whole game is kind of this thing, like there's a history where you've got an archer who was blind and stuff like that. It's interesting to to see how they work that in. I really like Planescape Tournament and I talk about it too much. That's so very I'll playful. Stop. I like that. There, there's no too much. <laughs> That's true. Kelsey's right. <laughs> also, Sheena Easton also did uh, Robin on Gargoyles. Oh. Uh, ah. And she was in All Dogs Go to Heaven, the TV series. And... All Dogs Go to Heaven 2. <laughs> I've never heard of All Dogs Go to Heaven. It's a uh, Don Bluth movie. Oh, movie. right. Oh, I, I didn't know that was I've him. Seen, I, I've only ever seen one Don Bluth film, Which and it one? was really well animated. Um, Titan AE. It was really well animated, but just a terrible story. <laughs> like, you horrible. haven't seen so The Secret bad. of Mim? No, I haven't seen Secret. Oh, that's probably the best animation he's done. It is so magnificently beautiful. Oh, so it's nice. very dark and look, you very would, dark. I think you would, you in particular, Ben, would really enjoy the art style of Secret of Nim because, kind of similar to your own style, it kind of has a lot of like little glowy highlights. That's kind of the characteristic feature of it. 
unpainting a glowy highlight as we speak. Yeah, <laughs> I've seen enough of you your art to know your to know your style. Yeah, I was I was really interested in the secret of Nim, and after watching Titan AE, was so disappointed in just everything about it, other than the graphics, the graphics, the visuals, <laughs> not the gameplay. Um, that I was just like, ah, I really, I can't do it to myself. Oh, but, secret yeah. of Nim is like it's kind of like a a really dark fairy tale kind of a thing. It's quite scary in tone. I'm surprised that I enjoyed it as much as I did as a kid because it would have it, it was pretty unsettling. The book is right. darker if I remember right. Oh, I didn't even know it was a book. Oh yeah, it, it's a book, and I'm pretty sure they changed quite a bit for the movie. Probably. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's marketed as like a a very young adult book, like maybe fourth or fifth grade, and you're reading it and you're like, this is terrifying. <laughs> I, am I right in thinking Don Bluth did work on Broken Sword games, like the early ones where it was 2D Oh, his studio may have done the animated uh, sequences. Uh, Don yeah. Bluth also did Dragon's Lair and Space Ace, the Laserdisc arcade games. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I'm less said about those generally. I know you like them, Brian. Did he do The Land Before Time? He did The Land Before yes. Time as well, yes. So he is just a fantastically good animator. And Dragon's Lair was an interesting game because that was a project that Don Bluth put his like junior animators on just to kind of have mm-hmm. fun and think of a bunch of creative uh, demises for this really uh, funny, wacky character. So there's a, the, the art style is uh, consistent throughout, um, and so is the motion and stuff, but the kind of scenarios are very different from each other. Yeah, animation I never, beautiful. I never got into that at all. If anything, watch it as a movie because it's very beautiful and very like yeah, a lot of movement and di- it's very dynamic. It's one of those things where I think it'd be more enjoyable to watch a let's play of than play. And I, I'm not one of those people that watches let's plays much. So, but I think that'd be one of the games where you're like, oh, I'm not guessing. I'm not trying to press a thing at the right time. I hate quick time events. <laughs> I think it's stupid. Yeah, there wouldn't be much for you to enjoy in Dragon's Lair or Space Ace then, except for the animation. Yeah, yeah I saw, I didn't even know what Space Ace was. I obviously knew Dragon's Lair, but I saw it come up on eBay for pretty cheap one time. And I thought, oh, I'll, <coughs> I'll look this up on Moby Games. See if it's a game I'll be interested in. Nope. I took one look and it said Don Bluth and I was like, uh-uh. Oh, don't, don't associate Don Bluth with uh, crappy things, even though two-thirds of the things we mentioned today are all crappy <laughs> by him. Yeah, Titan but, AE is so bad. Oh. Like, it's really pretty, but oh, man. The, uh, Secret of Nim and Land Before Time. And, and he did I, um, see, American like Tale, didn't he? Troll and Central West. Park was really good, too. What was, sorry? Troll and Central Park and Anastasia, he did those, too. Oh, Anastasia's beautiful. Yeah. And I don't think I've do, seen um, that. I should see that. Did he do American Tale? Oh, you Tale? should. American yeah, Tale? Should. Was that his? Hmm? American Tale? Fievel's American Tale? Yes. Yep. Yeah. yeah. That's another very I was good talking, one. I, I was talking with someone recently about Don Bluth, and they're like, yeah, I don't like him because all of his emotional manipulation is just making children sad so the audience will feel <laughs> bad for them. And he linked me to a bunch of clips where it's basically Don Bluth has written children being sad. And I was like, wow, his films are really just children being sad. They kind it's of incredible. are, aren't they? Yeah. This was this was um, a real sort of film buff guy who actually teaches a course on film appreciation at a university. And uh, every now and then, I because I watch no films, so if I want advice or anything, I go to him. And he was telling me this, and I was like, "Wow! Now that you've linked me to these clips, I can totally see it." <laughs> Even the start of Titan AE has that. 
and that's like a science fiction space opera, and he couldn't help himself but throw that in there. So, oh, I'm I'm more the type to try to go in blind and uh, then tell everybody how much I enjoyed this wonderful thing, and then find out that 98 percent of the critics hated it, and then I feel like <laughs> yeah. a big uncultured jerk for liking something stupid. Yeah. Oh, that's the that's like thing, dude. Yeah, I mean, the only stuff we do beforehand is we just look at a preview to decide if we want to look at it. I try not to even do that. If I can, or I read like a two sentence synopsis. That's yeah. about as much as I try to get out of any video game or movie or novel. If I can, mm-hmm. I'm kind of the same. And I often end up liking things that people hate and hating things that people love. So mm. yeah. yeah, it happens to us too. All right. Well, so. with, with that, Ben, would you like to contribute one or two of your uh, favorite characters? My favorite character in the game is my grandma in Skyrim. <laughs> she was badass. The way that you shouted that chicken dragon down. It didn't have a chance. I mean, it didn't die till the next morning, but you could tell that it was just... The chicken, the, the rooster was like, I've been, I've been cock-a-doodle-doodling my whole life. And then I heard this. What, who am I even? I've been just... Cock-a-doodle-doodle! <laughs> Sorry, Ben, we really don't mean to be little your poor grandmother. She's the best. I'm, I'm pleased with the result that it did happen. Yeah, I really like, I'm, I'll probably mention a game that everyone who's played it will sort of know what I'm oh, talking about. Oh, I'm sorry. About. Um, there's a lot of LucasArts adventures with great characters, you know, Grim Fandango and Sam and Max. I love those guys a lot. But my favorite absolutely is Full Throttle. Mm-hmm. And and not just because the main character is called Ben. That doesn't <laughs> bias me at all. Is know, that the character? I, I played Full Throttle really late. I grew up playing Monkey Island 1 and Sam and Max. That was kind of, you know, who I was. And then later discovered the other Monkey Island and Day of the Tentacle and Grim Fandango and stuff. But Full Throttle, I kind of came to after the fact. Full Throttle and the Dig were never super big or popular around where I lived. Hmm. So I kind of came to those two games late. And Full Throttle just really blew me away because I I had already been making games when I played it, like just a little bit. And just as somebody who's tried to do a little bit of something and like just gone, okay, I think I can see a way of like me making games to then play a masterwork like Full Throttle inspired me so much. Like I still look to Full Throttle art for inspiration. And the writing is incredible because I found a lot of the times, especially in Monkey Island, in order to make the women look like strong characters, like especially in Mellow Island where you've got like the governor and you've got the voodoo lady and you've got the sword master, all of who are like, they're the three strongest characters in the island. They're like the the queens, as you were, of the island. <laughs> Um, the pirates just sort of sit around drinking grog and don't do anything. But in order to make them look like powerful characters and important, they made the guys just bozos. Like Guybrush is hopeless at anything. Even like the pirate kings, just they run away at the sign of danger. But Full Throttle is not like that. You've got a protagonist who's a guy who's strong. Like he beats the crap out of other bikers. He's a strong guy. He kicks doors down. You know, he he slams nose rings down on the bar. <laughs> That's and he needs a fucking yet, shave. Yeah, and, and shave. yet, and yet, there's these women that are even tougher than him somehow. Not by making him weak, but by making them even stronger. And I really thought, yeah, this is really, really cool. You don't have to put someone in a sort of lesser role in order to boost somebody up. You can still make them strong, and yet make the other character stronger. So I hate mm. to be like the women's rights feminist guy because. You know, there's there's 
you know, you can talk about that forever without actually getting to the core. But what it really showed me is that you can have respect for a character's intelligence and everything like that and still have that balance where you show strong characters to be strong by their own right, not by making other characters weak around them. And also, I really like the gameplay of Full Throttle. A lot of people pick on it, but I love, like, I think the puzzles are great. I hate some of the action sequences, but no game is <laughs> Full Throttle is otherwise perfect. Let's knock people and off bikes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the dead and, road. Yeah, smack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, smack. Smack. <laughs> yeah, get away. Yeah, smack. Pick up the different weapons, figure out which weapon to use. But also the soundtrack, because I'm a huge rock and roll guy and I play guitar and, you know, and hearing a game that had worked a soundtrack into it like that, mm-hmm. especially in an adventure game, because it's not a common thing to have rock and roll in an adventure game at all. So hearing that in an adventure game was really, really cool. I actually learned to play the theme song on guitar. Yeah, uh, that's really fun to play. It's like a, you can play with one finger too. It's awesome. The, uh, the, the uh, when I was briefly uh, subscribed to Spotify, the Gun Jackals are on there. They have many, yeah, many nice. albums. But. That, so many of those plays of the album are probably from me. <laughs> I listen to that like once a week at least. Oh, nice. Um. For for my full throttle section, I was trying to list people, and then I just get rid of it, and I just put everyone okay. <laughs> yeah, so, it's such a great all around cast. Like, and Mark Hamill does three people in it, which is amazing. Oh, who does he do? I know he does Rip Burger. He does Rip Burger, Emma, and Todd. Oh yeah, one of the Todd, one Todd of the is bikers? the guy in the trailer, and Emma is the truck driver. Oh yeah. Oh, the truck driver. I was cool always. Too. I was always really bad at that knife game that Emmett does with the thing where you take her, like, I can do that. And <laughs> I you nag him forever and he lets you try it. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that existed until, like, 18 years after I played it for the first time. Wow. I didn't even know that was a thing. That really surprised they me. Hit. I got so bloody. <laughs> <laughs> they hit it really well because you got, I can do that. Yeah. Let me try. I, I thought that was that. the whole oh, gag, yeah. but then he actually lets you yeah. try. Yeah. But, oh. yeah, full throttle, it's really hard to single out one character because the cast is like all the characters in that are so well written and like it's a comedy game but it's also got drama in there and it's tension and it's yeah it's it's a it's a good sort of mix between who done and ben is very much an anti-hero like if you talk just i forget who it is you talk to but he's like he reveals that he's wanted in like all the other counties mm-hmm. like so you know when the when the Daryl, it his, might be his fellow his fellow biker. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. But, but when you, when you, um, when the cops come around, you know, Ben has to hide. He's not a heroic character at all. And yet, you know, even through all the, the revelation of him being a bad guy and the pounding bikers off their bikes and all that stuff, he comes out feeling like a hero. He does the right thing. He's chaotic. Good. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, that's a very good way of putting it. He comes out like he's a totally sympathetic character mm-hmm. while at the same time being a bad dude. He's badass. Oh, you know, I'm just thinking now, you know who my favorite character is in all of Full Throttle? The vendor at the stadium. Yes. Oh, yeah. He's like, he's, while he talks, like there's like teeth hat. flying out of his mouth. And you, <laughs> you ask him like he's what he keeps taking hat. a sip of. He's like, oh, I don't know. It came with a hat. I think it's some kind of packing material. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that guy. 
<laughs> I wish I could do the accent, but I really can't. But he, he sells the stupidest things. Yeah. T-shirts that don't fit and uh, cars with crappy Cops batteries. Rabbits. And the rabbits that you use to clear a minefield. What a cool game. And the credit sequence. They're yeah. Very important in the credit sequence. <laughs> Uh-huh. Yeah, so so I, I won't rant on too much longer about it, but everybody should play Full Throttle a lot. Agreed. I play it once a year, just I can't help myself. I think I own four copies of it now. Wow. <laughs> Three in original box. Wow. Well worth playing. Ben, ben got me an original box also. Oh. I think that was Christmas last year. I believe. Wait. And you also got me the physical Gonjackal CD. <laughs> wow. I'm a f- I've got two full throttle posters like in my my room. One's right above my desk. I can see it right now. I love full throttle. I can't. It's never been equaled for me. Now that you mention it, I think every photograph I've seen of you in your house, Ben, has included some poster of full throttle. <laughs> yeah. I just you know can't help myself. I wish like I wish more games were like that. They, and people complain it's too short. I'm like, mm, I'll take that over dragging shit out forever any day. Yeah, it's short and It sweet. tells a story and it doesn't kill the pacing with shit puzzles. It kills the pacing with a couple of action sequences. But, oh, yeah. that Demolition Derby is the worst. Demolition Derby. Yes. Ugh. I hate that. Although I will say, I used to think that the Demolition Derby was worse than the bike race and Anatoly always was like, oh, no, I hate the bike race, the bike stuff more than the Demolition Derby. And I was like, oh, no, dude, you're totally wrong. Last time I played it, I did the bike like first go on with the plank and the hitting the the um, cave fish straight away. Mm. I mean that no, that took me like three goes. And the demolition derby, I got like instantly. So I was like, maybe, probably, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't have doubted him. <laughs> but I don't know. We'll see. We'll see, Anatoly. Mm-hmm. We'll see. Well, that's a fine choice. So who who was your character then? Was it Ben that you chose? As your favorite, character? I would I would probably say Ben and Mo as like a couple, not a couple because they don't end up being a couple, but you know, as a as the, the interplay between those two. That's got to be one of my most favorite relationships in any game ever. Yeah, I like the way it ends. It ends on a really bittersweet but believable note. Like this is who these people are. It's like the very yeah. definition of bittersweet. It's perfect. Yeah, they don't they don't fairy tale it up for a feel good ending. Mm-hmm. They're like, this is who they are. This is what's going to happen. And I was like, ah, oh, just thinking about now, like the hairs on my arms are standing up. Just thinking about like that moment. Well, and I also appreciate having listened to your podcast as much as I have been. Uh, you've, you've mentioned more than once about the importance of a character growing throughout a ca- uh, story. And that's yeah. an interesting example, I guess, of Maureen growing and becoming something new and Ben deciding like willfully that he does not want to change. Yeah, it's, Maureen's interesting because she's very much hidden from us at the start, like what she really is, who she really is. Yeah. And she's introduced kind of subtly, but it's cool to see her story unfold. And, like, it's really interesting how, like, they work the backstory into how you find her, like with her uncle's mint ranch. And, like, that just seems like a little thing. But you see a character, you see a photograph of her at the mint ranch, and you're like, oh, that's where I've got to go sort of thing. It's, it's weird how they work that in. Yeah. And I really appreciate that. Mm-hmm. And the the whole thing with the diaper dynamo, like when she's pulling Ben apart and you remember her backstory, like her backstory is genuinely important to the gameplay, which is a really cool thing that I wish more games, I mean, I wish it was easier to do. But yeah. when you see a master at work, you really know it. Here, here. Well, how'd, so, you, yeah, like, I, how'd you like to take another one, Ben? 
Me? You. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll try and be a bit quicker this time. Um, another one for me, and this is a really small, weird character. Not weird, but a small character. <laughs> um, has anyone else here played the Days X game that Iron Storm released? No. Not yet. No. Okay. Barely. Well, <laughs> I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be flying solo on this one. You start as like a federal agent on your first mission and you're brief, like you're basically a super powered bionic agent with all these capabilities. You start off quite weak, but you get more capabilities as you go. But you know, you can run faster, jump higher, shoot straighter, see through walls, all that sort of stuff. But you're a federal agent. And at the very start of the game, it's a first person shooter with role playing and adventure elements. Like you can talk to people and stuff, but at the start of the very first level, you're, you meet your brother, twin brother, who's got the same bionic enhancements. And he basically says, look, you're on your own on this mission. They're basically, they want to see, it's a test to see what you do. But he offers you a choice of three weapons to take. And, you know, one's a non-lethal um, crossbow that makes enemies fall asleep. One's a sniper rifle and one's a rocket launcher. And he lets you choose what to take. And depending on what you take, you know, you can say like, oh, I want the sniper rifle. I'll pick them off from a distance. And he's like, dude, you're a federal agent. You're not supposed to be shooting people. If you get the tranquilizer thing, he's like, yeah, stay quiet, you know. And it's interesting. If you go around, you can totally play the first level however you want. You can massacre everybody, like with TNT and grenades and rocket launcher and everything like that. And you'll get told off, like, after the mission. He's like, dude, you're a federal agent. What are you doing? Or you can, you can, you can finish the level with no weapons, no items, anything. And for me, it was the first time I'd play a first-person shooter where you weren't supposed to shoot and there were actual consequences. If you did the wrong thing, you got told off. And it's interesting to have Paul as this concept who's the sort of antithesis of what you expect from a first-person shooter where you run around and just blast the crap out of everybody. Paul really was the game's way of showing you this is what you should be doing. And it was interesting, like, as you go through the game, you've got, like, troops on the streets, like, peacekeeping UNATCO troops who are on the streets and they're complaining like oh Paul was supposed to give us ammo but all he gave us is this tear gas grenade what the hell are we supposed to do this we can't keep the peace like this and you can either agree with him or sort of disagree and as the game progresses it's interesting to see how Paul as an individual has this sort of morality of doing the right thing whereas the rest of you know some of the people around him are just like gun ho sort of soldiers that just want to blast the crap out of everybody for me it was the first time in a game that consequence had really felt like a real thing. And it's a very binary thing. It's a very small thing. Sometimes if you do the right thing in the game, you'll get a different item, you know. But I really loved having this reactive game world. Even at the very start, if you go into, like, the women's toilets, you get you get told off. Like, <laughs> you get reprimanded, which really felt really um, reactive to me to have this game world because games are about exploring you want to poke your nose into things and see what people do and read their emails and do all that and you can do that but sometimes you get told off for it and paul was really paul denton was really the sort of the first time that that had hit me in a game so yeah that makes me want to play it that sounds awesome (laughs) it's very good but it's also very long has it aged well is it worth playing today it has not aged well. At the time, I thought the writing was great. I thought the gameplay was great. The gameplay is now clunky. The writing is terrible. They <laughs> shoehorn philosophy into, like, every single sentence. It's embarrassing. And the accents and the voice acting, and the voice acting in general, are just atrocious. <laughs> but the concepts behind that are still exciting to me to this day. So I think um, 
I think that makes it worth playing. Like there's there's the uh, the more I the more I played it recently, the more I was like, how did I ever think this writing was good? But the idea that a first person shooter had writing, I mean. Right. Yeah. And I'll just do a, a very honorable mention before I pass the stool on to somebody else. Is that <laughs> another one of my favorite characters and just just a very small character that she plays is Blackbird from the First Person Shooter Strife, which I talk about a lot because it's a great game. Mm-hmm. But for me, the interesting thing there is you've got a game that's so much of a Doom clone that it's built on the Doom engine. But instead of just walking around these random dungeons, you have someone that comes on the intercom every now and then and like gives a little comment and you realize how empty and lonely doom and hexen and heretic were and like wolfenstein and all those things because you never got to talk to anybody and suddenly there was someone there that was there for the whole game well depending on how you played it because um that can definitely there's different outcomes for that it's really interesting i'm going to spoil strife now so if you haven't (laughs) played it and you want to play it and don't want it spoiled um don't listen for the next two minutes but if you play a certain way, then you get to the end and it's kind of lame, but it's you sort of you meet Blackbird and you kiss her and it's like the end, oh, yay, happy sunsets. But if you play a different way, the bad person of the game actually finds out where Blackbird is hiding because all the women have been hidden underground, all the remaining ones, because they're sort of, um, you know, it's the apocalypse and it's all horrible and people are taking over the world. But, yeah, she was kind of hiding underground. The bad entity finds her, takes over her and impersonates her voice. So the character who's like, sounds like her and he's talking to you for the rest of the game is actually the bad, like the person you have to kill at the end of the game. So that's really cool to me that they can do that. And it all depends on one choice you make in the game. Wow. One. (laughs) Yeah. So that was, and that was in a 1996 game, which is incredible to me. She, so, yeah, there we go. I've I'm, talked to you a lot. I'm still, still chuckling at you said before you pass the stool on to someone else. <laughs> I'm still <laughs> chuckling about my grandma being a character in Scott. <laughs> oh, we're living in the past. We yes, yeah. <laughs> All right, Bianca, do you want to take, do you want to take one? Uh, sure, I'll take one. And I'll call you in the morning. Oh, <laughs> you're my favorite character, you. <laughs> Well, it's obvious that uh, from uh, earlier in the show that I'm a fan of the uh, Draenei as a as a the race as a whole, but I do like a few of the characters within it. I won't really go into it because I imagine our listeners aren't entirely into the world of Warcraft's into Warcraft's lore, and it would take me a long time to explain it. <laughs> so suffice to say that um, I have a few that I like there. Particularly, I just have, I just think that one of the best examples of the Draenei is the, is the prophet, is prophet Velen, as he actually fully embodies the, the whole, the entirety of what the Draenei, originally the, the, uh, the original inhabitants of Argus are supposed to be. The, they embody the goodness that's the light and, they are the beings who, and they, and they, they're the ones who worship the Naru. I just respect them as a character because he's well developed and has the and had the capacity to recognize when his people were in danger, and the willingness to sacrifice himself to save their own god from the corruption that that resulted from their own accidents. 
and his whole example led his people to be conscious of their environment and actually go out and try and fix stuff after they caused corruption in their environment when their spaceship, the Exodar, crashed into Azeroth. Oh, I always like that very much about the Draenei, how you're introduced to their race by them crashing in the forest somewhere, and the very first thing that they do is feel terrible about disrupting the ecosystem where yeah. they crash their ship. Oh, that's nice. It is nice. <laughs> oh, the, one of the first quests is so cute, because there's this um, there's this kind of a creature called... You know what I'm thinking of. Yeah. The, what are they uh, called? Owlkin. The Owlkin. I call it an owl moose, because it's like a gigantic, like, man-sized owl with okay, moose antlers. it's really fluffy, and it looks like it's covered in feathers. It's got tiny little hands sticking out of these massive arms that are basically feathers. It's got... Oh, good. Oh, yeah, don't mind the siren. It's coral. It's got this beak, glowing eyes, and antlers. Yeah, they're so... They look all dopey and derpy and adorable, and they kind of waddle around sort of like penguins. They're really, really cute. And so, one of the first things you have to do is, like, find deranged owlkins and inoculate them with your super spooge ray. Because the, uh, oh part of the uh, crystals that came off your ship infected them because they found them and they uh, were uh, standing near them and it, uh, and it, there's, like, fumes that came off these crystals. And they were just... They were just in... They were sh- they were just enamored by these uh, shiny things that they took them, and so you had to go get them back and uh, protect them from the uh, radiation on these crystals. Uh, that's right. So who who is the prophet Velen again? He is the one who resisted uh, the gift from Sargeras, which is the ultimate bad guy who is going to be in the next World of War expansion, Legions. Oh, but w- uh, what was the gift? Eternal life. Oh. But it came at a steep cost of uh, them basically being slaves to the Burning Legion. Oh. So, so that's where you, so that's where Kill Jaden and uh, Archmond are actually uh, separated from uh, the rest of the Draenei. Yeah, so, those guys are jerks. Yeah. They take, they became the Eridar, who are the corrupted evil Draenei. And then the Draenei, <laughs> meaning exiled, go the other way with Velen. So yeah. So what's it's, good about him as a character then, or just the fact that he just so that fact that he is the um, he goes out of his way to completely uh, avoid all this corruption and just keeps working to uh, save his people at no matter the cost to himself, even if if it means walking in and sacrificing himself to uh, remove the corruption from this god and even and kill himself. It's for those of who actually played, you know, the scene where he passes. The, uh, pro- the uh, his power onto Yurel and makes her the uh, new prophet. Oh yeah, that guy. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, he's in charge of these crystals. He's protecting these crystals so they don't fall into the hands of the others of the corrupted Draenei, and effectively fall into the hands of the Burning Legion and Sargeras, who is ultimately supposed to be broken out of uh, confinement by Gul'dan in the next expansion. That was a lot of names. <laughs> so, moving on from Ah, yeah. You want to take one more? I got two more. I want one won't take long, and actually, both of these won't take too long. Go for it. When you're playing as Lauren, when I'm playing as Lauren from uh, the Blackwell series, I can't mm. help but when I'm leaving this, but when I'm leaving a building, to say, "Come on, Blowy," because <laughs> <laughs> let's just face it. What else are you going to call Joey Malone when you're uh, getting this slow-ass ghost back to move along? 
Oh, and as per Francisco's recommendation, we did play the one of the Crackwell games. Oh, dear. Where he is, in fact, <laughs> called Blowy because uh, he's like the crack ghost. That was oh, awesome. Oh, that game. Why did you remind me of that game? <laughs> Fuck, I hate you. Oh, that was sweet. Anyways, so... Even though I call him Blowy, he's still one of, he is, I prefer, I like him a lot as a character. It just, you can't really do much, but you can, but he has the best dialogue and he can blow on stuff. He can blow papers and he can ruffle people's hair and make them feel a chill. Oh, he's a wonderful character. I love Joey so much. And then he can make snarky comments and people don't, just they're completely oblivious to him. He's snarky, but he's intelligent, and although he's kind of an artifact of his time, he's very quick and street smart, Yeah. so he catches on to things very quickly. Very quick. Yeah, it's quite nice, and uh, I just appreciate, and I still love his uh, his resentment of modern technology. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like he's a little bit of a luddite, but he's still street smart. He is. I, I just love that he is kind of out of his own time, and yet his job is to... Um, associate with and make comfortable other ghosts that mm-hmm. probably died recently. So mm-hmm. I really appreciate that he has to kind of make that stretch to make himself like adaptable and to be understandable and sympathetic with, with the other ghosts that yeah. might, might be angrier from another time. I love Joey. Yeah. Who else is there? Oh, yes. I mentioned earlier that we were playing, that we had been playing, I'd been playing the, uh, Ace Attorney Investigations with the main character of Miles Edgeworth. He is actually my favorite character from that series, of, at least of the attorneys, because it's, because the others don't really have the most believable abilities, and in the courtroom, he's the least ludicrous of them all. <laughs> sure, he wears this frilly cravat, but I mean, he's probably the least annoying and least outrageous character there is. First of all, he doesn't throw a fucking steaming cup of coffee at your head. He doesn't carry a whip in the court. <laughs> yes, somebody does that. Um, <laughs> he doesn't do anything fancy other than use just cold hard logic. He's a Vulcan of the, Vulcan of the series. I've, by the way, I've sent you guys a link to what Miles Edgeworth oh, looks like. He's very cravatorific. Yeah. <laughs> And isn't it, like, whenever he gets shocked, his cravat kind of, like, blows in the wind? It goes... <laughs> yeah. It's very dramatic. That's a very anime sort of thing, manga sort of thing, to have a character, when they express an emotion, their whole body shows it. Yes. Yeah, yeah, like, energy around them. I love the... Yeah. Oh, they have him in his first... In the oven he wears when he's first in court. It's, uh, it's even more flamboyant. <laughs> What the hell is... I don't know. Okay. Sorry, I'm scrolling through a bunch of crap all up. Yeah, so... <laughs> he also, the character, as a character, he also has depth, which is really explored in the first game. Because at first, he doesn't really seem to be much more than just this cold-hearted, calculating prosecutor who stands across from you and is thwarting you at every move. Until- oh, right. He's like the child prodigy prosecutor who has never lost a case and is notorious Ooh. for using any, like, illegal means whatsoever to make sure that someone's found guilty. Yeah, and then after, and then he eventually is broke, is, uh, this, uh, mantra is broken by Phoenix, right, who defends him in his own case when he's falsely accused of murder. And so he actually shows an immense amount of character development, which is, which is very, which is reflected in his own series where he's, where he's embraced the rights mantra of, of looking for the truth instead of, you know, just finding that Instead of just getting somebody for being guilty and closing the case, mm. 
And they really, and you really do feel like he's looking for the truth, even when you're uh, digging through uh, the garbage to pull out this, uh, this mangled bag of, I don't know what. <laughs> what are you going to say? I think, I've seen that, I think I've seen that done as like a sort of character development thing somewhere else. Like the person changes as mm-hmm. they're the one that's being involved all of a sudden. They realize they see it from a different perspective. It's a really interesting thing to play with. Yeah, this mm. one is a good, a really good example of character development in a positive way. Yeah, I appreciate mm. that he starts as like a really, a really one note obvious kind of a foil, and, but becomes someone with depth over the course of the same game. Mm-hmm. Usually, yeah, if someone's, cool. yeah, usually if someone's a one note character, then they don't usually uh, transcend that within the same game. Yeah, I mean the rest of them are kind of just parodies and one note characters without much depth. But he is one of the ones with who really transcends that, mm-hmm. especially in his mm-hmm. no, latest one, where it's very obvious that he's not going to give up until he gets the truth, even though he has evidence that looks that makes everyone else look guilty. He makes this one person look obviously guilty when they're not. Mm-hmm. Nice. Mm-hmm. And one more, and and then I'll pass the note on to Brian is Elizabeth from uh, Bioshock. Oh, Bioshock Infinite. Yeah. What I like about her is, although you're quote unquote rescuing her, she doesn't come across as a damsel in distress so much as just someone who's been sheltered and locked away, who doesn't really realize she's been locked away until you've taken her out of her uh, lovely environment. Yeah, I don't suppose you guys have played Bioshock Infinite. Not yet, uh-huh. no. Yeah, she does come. She's not like I said. Doesn't come across as being damsel in distress, but when you help her out, she's like, "Wow, there's like this amazing, beautiful world in front of her." Yeah, she's. And then of course you're in the process of going grenade, grenade, shotgun, boom, shotgun, boom. Yeah, that's a game that's unfortunate in my opinion that it's a shooter, although it's a fun shooter. We mm-hmm. talked about this with uh, Tomer. Hi, Tomer. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, she is a pretty interesting character. Yes. She's very similar to Alex in uh, Half Life Two in that she accompanies you and in some senses you are rescuing her and in some senses you are working against her to take her somewhere she doesn't want to go and she's kind of reluctantly helping you and whenever she helps you it's a huge help Mm -hmm. for example she's breaking she picks your locks for you she'll throw you ammunition in battle which is really immensely helpful especially when you're like this is the one weapon you've upgraded all the way and you want to use it because it's the best fucking weapon you've ever got your hands on (laughs) And so she'll just happen to, at the right moment, throw you exactly enough ammunition you need to get through the rest of this wave. Mm, that's very handy and cool. Yeah. And as you're walking around, she'll go, oh, there's some lockpicks over there, Booker. Or she'll uh, say, here, catch. And she'll throw you with this coin. And it's like, the coin happens to actually be five coins. <laughs> oh, and one thing that I liked that was kind of subtle was that, you know, it, it, as, as it is with many first-person shooters, if you poke around and look under something or behind something, you'll find a little treat somewhere. So sometimes uh, Elizabeth will tell you, oh, there's there's a lockpick over there. But every now and then she'll just go, hmm. And you have to ask yourself, why did she just do that? Where is she standing? And you sort of oh, look around nice. where she is. Yeah. It is really nice. It almost reminds me of Grim Fandango with uh, the protagonist looking at something. It's all, it's kind mm-hmm. of subtle like that. I appreciate that. Yeah, so she does, she adds, but it depths the game, but at the same time, she's not helpless. And I do appreciate that she is willful, and that when she realizes she has a chance to escape, she does. And it's your job, to, and, it, and, it's, and Booker, it's your job to convince her that it's not in her best interest. But then when she does lead you away, I re, what I really love is how all the iterations of her that come through 
just all seem to uh, be the same person, but are all at the same time being several different people. It's <clears throat> so beautiful, and it's just a beautiful contrast to characters when that happens. Yeah, that's a very good sci-fi story, by the way. That's like true kind of uh, Twilight Zone style mm-hmm. science fiction that really kind of plays <laughs> with your like perception. Steampunk. It's steampunk kind of in its presentation in many ways, but the story itself is like pure sci-fi, and it's not like space sci-fi, but just kind of like toying, toying with the properties of time and reality yeah. and stuff. It's an awesome. alternative okay. reality. Yeah, I love it. It's a great story. Okay. Only once does it kind of uh, meander into David Cage uh, proportion, what the hell's going on right now. Only once. There's one scene that they should have just ripped... Right out. I don't know if you remember it, where you, like, fight some ghost lady in a graveyard. Oh, what the fuck was that? that I don't was... know what that was. The game didn't need I it. Don't, I don't know why games slip into that. I was... The first Assassin's Creed, I liked the whole story up until the very last boss fight, where it turns out, oh, suddenly you're fighting a wizard. Like, I don't... <laughs> why do games... Like, why do games do that? Yeah. You I don't mean, need that. You can you can do an interesting bit without having to just it, oh, yeah, it's a game so we can throw a ghost in. It is a shame. <laughs> That's, by the way, something that you should not let you be deterred from Phoenix Wright. Because the very first, in the very first Phoenix Wright game, the very first uh, case that you do, they just play it straight. And it's you, you have a, a crime and you have to... Uh, Investigate and accuse the person who is guilty. After that, it does all the supernatural stuff, and immediately you'll be like, why? Why do you have to do this? But mm. it's okay. The way they do it is okay. Yeah, Somehow. and it actually winds up having a bit of a point, and they do resolve it. Unfortunately, none of that supernatural crap come back with Ed- with Edgeworth's game. Oh, good to hear. No, Except for a- playing chess in your brain? <laughs> yeah, logic chess. <laughs> right <laughs> And I actually think that's a bit of an oxymoron, since chess is a lo- very logical game to begin with, so why are you calling it logic chess? True enough. That's true. Very good point. So that's Elizabeth? Yes. And now we turn it over to you. Over to me. The stool with has passed the A whole 25 minutes left for you to say something. <laughs> and to be interrupted by all of us. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll go as long as everyone is comfortable, yeah. but I'll, I'm just going to say one so that I can pass it back to the guests. Um, most of the characters I wrote down are... Sierra, and even more of them are from adventure games, but I'm going to pick... Have you guys played The Dagger of Amun-Ra? Yes. I did that on Stream Friends with Phil and Silva. Oh, fantastic. Okay, well, Kelsey, hopefully you will you will have enjoyed this character <laughs> as much as I did. Because I, I just went through my whole list of Sierra games, I'm like, oh, this guy, this guy, this guy. Whoa, go kick ass, budgies. <laughs> did you guys hear that? Yeah. That was was intense. (laughs) All right. So the character that I have decided to choose is Low Fat, who is the dry cleaner. cleaner. (laughs) (laughs) So why I love this character is, you know, he's a Chinese man in a Chinese laundry and his name is Low Fat. So immediately the first thing you assume is that they're going to do this horrible racist stereotype thing and just run with it and it'll be in poor taste. And fantastically and they never really uh succumb to that to, to to that level which is really nice so that's incredible because sierra was so bad for stereotypes they were pretty so bad for it this is probably the, the best worst. possible example yeah so um i really love this kind of a character archetype in general 
The very oh, <laughs> but you landed on my wife's boobies. Isn't that nice? <laughs> hey, Apollo. Oh, it was a birdie. Um, <laughs> so I love the I love this kind of archetype of a character who seemingly has like a blue collar menial job or is very much under the radar, but because of the nature of their job, they know a lot of really uh, <laughs> a lot of really important secretive things about a lot of influential mm. people. So. This very unassuming character ends up giving you a lot of information about people, uh, which is really cool. So I just wrote down a few quotes that this character says. Probably I wrote more quotes than I will read. Oh, it was a cute birdie. <laughs> is it me? Yes, it is you. Oh, it was a cute birdie. Do not, do not ruin you my lost. rhetorical question, sir. You lost. You are the cute bird. <laughs> All right, what do we have here? Um, so, Laura Bow, the protagonist, who, because I, I only uh, had the um, text version of the game and not the talkie CD-ROM version, I thought for the longest time her name was Laura Bow, but it's Laura Bow, oh, right. as I have been corrected to. So, Laura says, get it last, Bird. She, she doesn't say that. She says... <laughs> Do you know Sam Agostini? He's the city editor over at the New York Daily Register News. And Lofat says, Sam Agostini, yes. Uh, 17 collar, 52 inch waist, mostly soup and sweat stains. Ring around the collar. Nice guy. That's, <laughs> That's really like cool. Yeah. Here's, here's another one. Laura asks, does the name Pippin mean anything to you? Yes, yes. Pippin Lundstocking. My little girl read book about her. Very funny. Freckles, red hair. <laughs> I don't think that's the same name. No, I thought it was long stocking. Maybe not. <laughs> That's a cute one. Um, that was that. There was kind of varying into racist Sierra territory. <laughs> it was like me no speak English a little bit. Of, yes. Kind of thing, yeah. Oh, you'll like this one then. Have you ever met the Countess Lavinia Waldorf Carlton? No. Have you met Chin Wang Lee? No. That was fun. We play again sometime. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, Sierra! Why? <laughs> Uh, so like, why are you okay. these to, after you tried to uh, point out that this guy wasn't a stereotype? Okay, I'll, I'll end off with a good one, and then I will pass it back to Kelsey. <laughs> Last one is, you wouldn't happen to know a rather striking young man named Steve Dorian, would you? Hmm, no think so. He must go to the other cleaners. Sound like you're sweet on this, Steve. I'm simply investigating him. Oh, you detective? Low fat think you see something pretty detective lady not see herself. So I do like that one anyway. <laughs> All right, maybe I have disproven my own claim here. Yeah, way to go. I mean, it's it's not as bad as some of the Sierra stuff I've seen, but they really had this kind of 70s dad, it's funny to be racist thing going on. A little a bit. bit. A little bit. Yeah. I think they did a lot better with this character than they have with other characters. And I, certainly, I in- let's bring up the David Cage example, shall we? Do you remember the Chinese starkeeper in uh, Indigo Prophecy? Uh, yeah, and he's just doing it for Taurus. Uh-huh. That is like super duper cringeworthy, and that was like late enough in history that like you should know better. Yeah, and, mm. and the whole character of Tyler also is. Just, uh-huh. yeah. Oh, his walk says everything about him, doesn't it? Yeah, although his personality is too bad. He talks like a jackass, but in terms of personality, he, at least he has a much better personality. He's less plastic than Carla. He's like, he's Carly. like Jar Jar Binks, basically. <laughs> yeah. Tyler is Jar Jar Binks. Anyway, Kelsey. I think David Cage is Jar Jar Binks. He's a go to Roger Gamer. <laughs> <laughs> All right, shall we pass the stool? <laughs> 
this stool shall pass. <laughs> this does not get old. Kelsey, please favor us with another of your favorites. Um, for Dragon Age, I put down Sarcastic Hawk uh, from Dragon Age 2. Uh, depending on how you play your hawk, your main character, um, she can be diplomatic, she can be sarcastic, or she can be aggressive. And I played mine sarcastic, and I have never loved a one of my personal my PCs more than sarcastic hawk. I loved like it. she su- continually surprised me with what because you can only always you can always only say. Or you only always get on the dialogue wheel like a vague approximation of what you're gonna say, so it's always a surprise. And sometimes that doesn't work out really well because you're like, "Oh my god, I didn't mean to say that." <laughs> but uh, sarcastic hawk is just so funny. I I can't imagine playing it any other way. Um, it's just basically you pick all the middle options, and um, Varric, of course, loves sarcastic hawk. <laughs> um, and then I also picked Anders because he's just he's awesome. And loves cats. <laughs> That's all you need. Yeah. And then I put everyone okay because it was hard to pick again from Dragon Age. <laughs> Just every, I, I want to be friends with almost everybody in Dragon Age. <laughs> Oh, is that? That's usually not an option in Bioware games. If you befriend someone, that it usually ticks someone else off. Am I right? You can, uh, you can work it. Enough in in Dragon Age One, it's weird because you can give them all presents, and there's a literal point system involved. Mm. But with um with Dragon Age Two, it's um you can have a friendship with them or a rivalry with them, and you can still have a really good relationship even if your rivalry's at a hundred. Like that was me and Fenris. Like we respected each other, but we did not get along because he was super anti-mage and I was very pro-mage. Um, mm. Yeah, that's right. There were a whole bunch, there were a whole bunch of like overtones of racism and stuff in that, in that game, weren't there? It's yeah, absolutely. It's um, yeah. Basically any ism you can think of is like what the mages are a stand in for kind mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. Um, because they're, they're super discriminated against. They are, um, they're heavily guarded. Um, they can't, they don't have the freedom to do whatever they want, basically. Mm. And, um, and Anders is really passionate about mage freedom and stuff like that. And that's another reason why I liked him a lot mm. without spoiling how his storyline ends up. But, um, and he also has a, um, he also in, at the end of awakening, which is the origins expansion, he accepts a spirit into him, which is normally like a big no, no, but it's a nice spirit, so it's okay. But some of the implications of that are kind of weird. But, um, and then, oh, and I never said in Dragon Age Inquisition, it's even harder to tell your relationship with the characters because there's no real scale. It's just like Varric approves or Varric doesn't approve, and you never really see, like, there's no scale to go and check. Mm-hmm. It's just how they react to you in conversation. I kind of like that way. The the point yeah, system I, itself I is a little weird. When you when you get the point system, it really feels like oh, you you've reached level three of this relationship. Like, that's <laughs> not how friendship works. Let me give you enough presents, and eventually you'll like me. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean that works in real life. You, you, you killed you, you killed <laughs> my dad, but you bought me a choo choo, so we're cool. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I like that choo choo. Your go to gift. <laughs> 
to kill my dad, but you tossed the stool to me, so. <laughs> you killed my father, prepare to die. Yes. <laughs> That's more realistic. Yes. Uh, Kelsey, you want to take another one? Sure. Um, I wrote down Lee and Clementine from The Walking Dead from Telltale. Yes. Yes. Their relationship is one of my favorite dynamics in video games ever because one, I've never like, there's not really a game that I can think of where you're a, like a, a father figure or a parent, like in such an active way, mm-hmm. you know, she's, she's 10 years old and you're, you're building her up for the second game. And it's just, that's one of the very few video games that's ever made me cry because I loved Lee and Clementine so much. And at the end, it's just, heartbreaking it's, what has to happen mm-hmm. but yep they're so cute and like the the scene where he cuts her hair and he you know he 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 really takes to her like a dad almost immediately and you know he makes jokes with her and he's just such a nice n- such a nice guy and you don't want anything bad to happen to either of them mm-hmm. and i just love that their relationship mm-hmm they have a beautiful relationship, and that that first season has the most unbelievably great ending. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Plus the I don't want to spoil it or anything. Plus the very beginning of the second season, mm-hmm. where uh, where things were almost comfortable for Clementine, and then yep. very suddenly. Oh my god! My, and it's it's so playing as her is amazing because I can't again I can't think of another game where you're not only a child, but a, a little girl and you're in that much danger and you have to rely on other people so much mm-hmm. for protection and stuff. Like that's scary. Especially if you have been a little girl, you know, and you're like, what would I have done at 10 years old if I had to do this kind of stuff? Like I definitely would have gotten eaten. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I really appreciate it. It's one of the very few games that lets you play as a child, and it's not like, oh, you're a child, but you're a superhero, and you can jump eight feet in the air and shoot your laser guns. Right. Mm. I mean, even though it's like about killing zombie monsters, it's a pretty well-grounded experience where you most of the game is played through conversation. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate that. I think that's a terrific series. Mm-hmm. Same. I can't wait for... If they do, and I mean, I assume they're going to do another one, but they keep starting. Like they have like five of them going right now. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I hope they do something. And I also hope they finally put out episode six of the Game of Thrones. Oh, is it? It's is that going to be the last one? Yes. They have is that, that's their longest series, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It wow. sounds like it's one of the longest ones. Hmm. Isn't it incredible how like it's amazing to think how Telltale did they start off. With Sam and Max? No, they yeah. started off with Bone. Oh, Bone, that's right, the oh. comic adaptation. And soon after, they did Sam and Max. And it was such, like, a tiny little company trying to do episodic gaming, which nobody had they done doing, successfully. They were doing CSI games as well. I can't remember. Ah, uh, did they? Okay. Yeah. So that's interesting. They were doing, like, so they- work for hire. And then, like the Sam and Max stuff on their own terms, if I remember straight. I could be wrong. Okay. They all, all, the studios have to start some way. How interesting yeah. that they've built up a reputation not only for making good games, but also for taking over other people's intellectual property and running with it. Yeah. My first I, Telltale game was Tales of Monkey Island. Hmm. We, we played we played 95% of that. We played, we played uh, Tales of Monkey Island. We oh, played yeah. the whole series. We played. We got to the very last episode. We were about halfway through it. 
And we got bored and stopped. Oh my god, the, it's ridiculous. The, same, the same thing happened when we were on Double House with Sam and Max. We got through most of it and then we went. I think I got bored of the first uh, Sam and Max season True. three. Yeah, I never found out what happened with Esponja Grande. <laughs> oh my god, the ending is like. <laughs> blew me away. Oh, damn. should go back and finish it someday. <laughs> I guess I should. I think that was like three computers ago. I don't think I have a save game there anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have to start over. <laughs> I guess so. Wolf Among Us. Did you try that one? You- yes. Oh, yeah. I abbreviate that to Mungus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I loved um I'm blanking out on his name. The Sheriff. Bigby. Yeah, he's so cool. That's a clever name, too. Big B. Yeah. Wolf. Yeah. I started reading the comics, and I need to get back to them. But um, I really enjoyed that a lot, and I loved the art style, because it's even more comic booky than Walking Dead is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yet it's kind of got this dark tone undertone to it without being uh, all gritty. Yeah. Yeah, I really liked it. Mm. Um, I'm excited for Minecraft Story Mode. I'm going to buy that one when it comes out. It actually comes out on my birthday, so that's going to be my present to myself. <laughs> oh, nice. Do you, do you play the proper Minecraft? I do a little bit. Um, I haven't done in a while, but I do like it. It's really relaxing. Hmm. I've never played it. I, I recently, maybe you guys saw this too, saw a series of tweets from uh, Marcus Person. He was saying, kind of in general, that he was like, at the time, in Ibiza, Spain like at a fancy nightclub surrounded by amazing famous people and he's never felt so alone and that his money Mm -hmm. makes him feel absolutely isolated and that he like feels like he peaked at a young age and doesn't know what to do next. I felt so bad for him. Yeah. No kidding. I wish he would. He, he participates a lot in uh, game jams. He does a lot of little one-offs, but I think that's pretty much how Minecraft started. Mm-hmm. Just as an unassuming little something. He started working on a game. He was working on a game called Worm, which is very similar, but a lot more, a lot more in depth. Worm's crazy because it's like, um, it's a lot more persistent and like a lot bigger. You can build a mountain in Worm, but it'll take you forever. You know. So I believe, if I remember correctly, I've only read about. It, I've never played it, but I believe that's where he got his start, and then just started building Minecraft as this other thing as like the same thing but more simpler and more like a toy box hmm. and of course simple is good when we're talking about getting people to engage with your systems and everyone has now engaged with his systems yeah that's right I'd love to see him do another sandbox kind of an idea that seems to be where he thrives yeah it's I don't know like when I I saw his tweets about stuff like you know he sits at his screen waiting for people to have free time to do stuff I'm like dude you've got you now have power. You can go anywhere you want. Yeah. You know, don't, don't let that hold you back. I guess he's like frozen, frozen by indecision. Yeah, I I guess. I don't understand, but it's hard to sympathize when you're not at that level. Yeah, exactly. It's hard to empathize yourself. Certainly hard to sympathize. So, yeah. Well, Ben, would you like to give us another couple of characters from your list? Yeah, I'll go with one that some people might know and one that probably nobody knows just because I like <laughs> talking about obscure shit. Um, my first one that hopefully some of you guys will know is Kate Archer. Yes. Kate Archer is fantastic. From uh, No One Lives Forever. Wait, No One Lives Forever, That is right? correct. Yes. That's correct. Yeah, I love Kate Archer because you play as like a sassy 60s spy who like doesn't yeah. mind dressing up and like 
you get these weird cool characters. It's like you play James Bond, but not an asshole. Like you play James <laughs> Bond, but as a nice person, which is a nice change for the James Bond kind of character. Because she's still very tough, James. though. Oh yeah, she's totally. She's like she kicks ass. Like her she, personality is tough in her conversations and all. She's like no nonsense. Yeah, yeah, she doesn't mess around, but she's also a really sensitive person. Like. Um, you know, she she feels fondness for certain characters like Bruno and, you know, and a lot of the game is played for laughs, like, you know, boss battling a sort of Wagner opera singing character and, mm-hmm. you know, but as the series unfolds, you know, there's this one thing I really like is in the first game, one of the enemies that you fight against is like this big Scottish brute mm-hmm. character who like, who's really tough and then later on, as Kate Archer's story unfolds, you end up having to have a fist fight with this huge surly man and you're like this skinny little woman and you have this fist fight with him and when you beat him, he like respects you. Like you win his respect and he's kind of helps you out. I really like that as a sort of bit of character development. Like the guy was like, well, you know, I got my ass kicked to me by a little girly. <laughs> That's right. So. Yeah, I really like that about Kate Archer. And just the fact that you get to play as a super spy that's not a dick. And the fact that she's <laughs> paired with a super spy that is a dick and you get to kick his ass. Bold yes. eagle. That's right. With yeah, the shirt. I, <laughs> oh, with the shirt. Oh, man, that shirt. But, yeah, a lot of – even though a lot of the game is played for comedy, it's also she's, – she's, like, a really – a really sympathetic character, you know, she feels proper feelings and she's not just some dead inside spy like James Bond is. It's just like, fuck everybody and like kill everyone. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, she still kills everyone. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) She she kills a lot of people. Yeah. She's, she's a human. She's doing it for the right reason. Not because James Bond just, he's just some cool dude who doesn't even know how a martini should be made. (laughs) That's right. But yeah, the other character, that I'll mention is Emerald Flint, who is from Archimedean Dynasty and the first Aquinox game. And basically they oh. let you play as Han Solo underwater <laughs> in like in like a kind of dystopian thing where the whole world, the sea levels have risen so much that everything is underwater now. I think it's that or the surface is too corrosive, something like that. Um, but yeah, you get to play as like this real Han Solo character and the world of Aquinox is so bizarre and kind of really supports a character like that. You get to play as this rogue sort of mercenary sub-pilot. And I really enjoy playing as him. And in the second Aquinox game, Aquinox 2 Revelations, you don't play as Emerald Flint. And that game, I really enjoyed it, but it also made me realise how the the first Aquinox and Archimedean Dynasty are so special to me because of Emerald Flint. Like, he makes that game for me. Hmm. There is a lot of dialogue in those games. Whoa, yeah. Like, a lot. And, like, they're, they're, it has the feels, you know. There's stuff like, there's relationships that develop. It's not just shooting stuff. It's, it's There's a lot to, you know, there's dynamic relationships between the characters. And they're really underloved games. Nobody's played Aquinox. Like, nobody's played Aquinox, despite it being fairly well-known. Um, but I love the hell out of that game. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's still very much a shooty shooty wing commander style game. But and they're tough games. They're not easy. I'll be the first to say it. Yeah. Um, finishing the second Aquinox game was man. That was a trial. Like, but yeah, I think 
I think he's what makes the series so special for me. Just so much character. And he very much is written to be one way and the world is written around him like hmm. you sort of you sort of have all these characters that are clearly put there to let him shine as a character. So yeah. Yeah, well, I haven't gotten too far in the Aquinox games, although what I played I really liked a lot. It was the difficulty, really, that kind of... They're tough games. They, they really are tough games. And they're the sorts of games where you're not really going to... You can't save in intermediate points. you got to restart from the beginning of your mission. But oh, yeah. what I love about the presentation is the the conversations and stuff like that, like walking to a different room in a... in a What do you call it? The ship or a carrier or whatever, the large boats that are sort of the hubs. And, yeah. Um... Although the voice acting is quite over the top and uh, like over accentuated sort of and caricaturized, it's so kind of thematically appropriate just for the the way that the game presents itself. It's kind of that like cyberpunk. It's very cyberpunk, even though it's all very, underwater. Very. Yeah, you have people like like totally addicted to you know various substances and things like that, and they play that out hilariously but also you know that's who they are that's their character trait is our oh, junkie mm -hmm. so you get these lines that are written just for that character but they're only the minor characters the major characters are quite well balanced mm -hmm. so yeah good game and i really i really think that anybody that likes wing commander and but also likes an interesting story with well-written characters should try aquinox at least the first one the first aquinox is my favorite of the three games mm. Archimedean Dynasty is good, but even harder again. Um, and Aquinox 2 is also... Aquinox 2 is not as hard as Archimedean Dynasty, but also pretty hard. But you don't get Emerald Flint, so it's just not quite the same. It's like playing a Duke Nukem game with the exact same setting, but playing as someone else, not Duke Nukem. Oh, yeah, I see what you mean. That's not so right. It's, no, it's not right. It's not quite right. So, yeah. They're working on another Aquinox at the moment. Actually. No way! That's good. Yeah. But it's a totally different team. I actually had a chat to the guy who I think designed Aquinox. Um, and I was like, oh, yeah, dude, I totally have the poster on the wall. He's like, oh, man, that's crazy. I didn't know anyone remembered that. And we were talking about the new game. He's like, yeah, none of the original team will work. And I was like, oh, that's heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. It's been a long time, though. It's been how long? 15 years or so since the first Aquinox. Maybe more. Well, Archimedean Dynasty was 96, I want to say. Oh, so 20 so years for the last one. 19 years. Yeah, I could be wrong there. Let me check. But Aquinox was definitely... The, the two Aquinox games were not nowhere near as old as that. No. And despite Still, their age, yeah. they look beautiful. They really hold yeah. up graphically. Yeah. They, see, they're the... Yeah, that was 96. Man, I'm good. Um, mm. They were kind of bundled with graphics cards a fair bit to, like, show off. You know, oh, you got a new GeForce card. This is what it can do. And yeah, they made a benchmark Aquamark. tool. They had a benchmark tool called Aquamark. Yeah, they did. You're right. And it was fun to watch. I use that to benchmark my new PCs all the time. I remember the first time I got Crisis to run and felt like a genius. <laughs> I was like, man, my computer's the best computer ever. <laughs> it would have to be to run Crisis. Mm. I wonder what year that was. Maybe 2007. Mm, maybe. Wow, is it 10 years old? It sure doesn't look 10 years old. Crisis does not look 10 years it's old. It's still pretty. Yeah, it was 2007. Man, I am on point with video game release years today. You sure are. I don't even like Crisis that much. That's incredible. <laughs> anyway, that's enough of me talking. I've mentioned some characters, so I'm pass at school. That's <laughs> a school. All right, well, I think we're probably coming up pretty close to the end of the show here. Oh, yeah. I'm... 
I'm gonna permit a uh, permit, like it's my phone or something. Uh, let's let's King do Brian. King Brian. Let's. Uh, I, I'm gonna do one super duper quickie. Um, I will mention Laverne from Day of the Tentacle. Oh yeah, I love Laverne. <laughs> I love her. I love her attitude. I love how she's kind of half brilliant and half clueless. Um, and uh, Amir at Akago, I think, used the perfect uh, descriptor for her. For her, he calls her gleefully psychotic, which I think is probably pretty close to accurate. Um, yeah, it's it's easy to make sociopathic characters annoying as hell, but somehow she comes off as endearing the whole time. Yeah, she always she always has kind of a comment, like she's considered the situation and is like two steps ahead. And whatever she says is like one step ahead, which kind of shows you what she's been looking at and also what she's thinking about in addition to I what's think going it's, on. I think it's almost two steps to the left. Yeah, sure. Rather than ahead. It's like this this whole other road that you're like, I didn't even know that was a road we could go down. Right. Yeah. Oh, and one, yeah, great character. one of my favorite observations about uh, Laverne is from a gentleman by the name of Ben Chandler, who pointed out <laughs> something that I never noticed, which was that Laverne, before and after her tentacle costume, are about the same shape. They're the same shape. Which is so funny. She's like a triangle. Time. I never yeah, noticed that till you mentioned it. It's <laughs> hilarious. Yeah. That is so fantastic. My, I, I love that thing when she puts that suit on the vest. But yeah, that's... One of my favorite things is that she she doesn't really change shape that much. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, terrific. Which is which is, uh, man, I could talk forever about Lucas Arts craft like artists, mm-hmm. well, animators. Just, yeah. Her walk is so funny. Oh, her! I just even just her eye is hilarious. Yes. Oh, like love she's her. Just she's totally messed up and she's just happy constantly. Yeah. That's the best part. I guess that's probably what makes her so likable and not creepy. Yeah, that's right. If she was like this creepy psychopath that went around and they played her just for the creeps, but they really let her be a happy person, which is really nice. Mm -hmm. All right, Bianca has tiptoed away somewhere. So, uh, Kelsey, (laughs) you have one last favorite character you'd like to mention? I will say... um, Who should I say for my last one? I'll say... GLaDOS from Portal because she is one of my favorite villains ever Um, and I I love villains and she's one of the coolest lady villains and um, she's just so nonchalant about her villainy Mm -hmm. like it's it's not really she's not malicious about it until the very end where she's like worried that she's gonna get destroyed but um, she's very almost cheerful about it which is really fun and um she's even more fun in portal 2 um when she wakes you up again and she's like so we meet again and it's it's great there's uh, there's stuff i don't want to spoil because i know ben hasn't played portal 2 yet at least yeah but, but it's oh, been out for a while so some so he's not really gonna spoil much for anybody well we won't spoil it while someone who has to play it is right here with us <laughs> yeah. it's just that i'm hopeless that's all it is <laughs> Do you, um, do you have a preference of Portal 1 versus 2 in terms of how GLaDOS is presented? I think 2 because of what you find out about her past and um, there's just more depth to her exactly. as, a, as a former person almost or mm-hmm. entity or whatever. Um, and you have to work together at one point, which is really funny. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, it is. Me personally, I like her better in number one because in number two, while the writing is hilarious and I love that game and I love the writing, she doesn't really act like a computer anymore, I think. Whereas in the first one, she's so computery that when she starts to kind of exhibit uh, like uncertainty right at the end of the game where you think it looks like you're going to win, that is just so off-putting and out of place that it makes her even more charming to me. Whereas in Portal 2, it's like she's a sidekick. And she's really mm-hmm. funny and really likable, but I don't really see her as a computer, really. Which is but she spends a lots of her time in a potato. Okay, how is she going to be a computer if she's in a potato? <laughs> well, there you go. No more spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Kelsey. Ben, do you have one last one? one? One more is Double H from Beyond Good and Evil, because he's basically Minsk but in a different hat, and I love the fact that he. He shouts um, lines from his his um, soldier training guidebook out as battle cries. <laughs> I like that very much. Double H is a great character, but he's also in the right moments. He's got depth. So yeah. Oh, I played about played half of that. I played about half of it. Is he in the second half? I guess. Yeah, uh, he's like he is the he is the second half of the game. Uh, too bad. I, I really got to play the rest of that. That is a really, yeah, really cool fun. game. Yeah, that's like that's on par for me with Psychonauts in terms of writing. I, I didn't mention it. Psychonauts today because I'd already mentioned Full Trouble, and there's only so much Tim Schafer <laughs> you can throw into a podcast. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, yeah. All right, Bianca, do you have one last one last character you'd like to mention? Mm. Uh, her, perhaps. I thought you wanted her. Yeah, but I've already said my last one for the day. True. In that case, well, I'm going to take this one then. This is actually one that Brad and I were going to both mention, but he wanted this one since I had since I had mentioned Joey. And although she only appears in one of the Blackwell games, nope, two of them. Okay, two. Well, as a main character, yes, is in one of the Blackwell games and has a subsequent role in Epiphany. Lauren Blackwell. Is is actually one of the best done characters in that series besides Joey, because she she comes across as uh, ambivalent towards the whole spiritual thing and just kind of goes along with it and is less into it than uh, Rose Angela is, and I appreciate her ambivalency towards it because it's just fine if I have to do this I will, but when she doesn't <laughs> want to it's all about the cigarettes. Yeah, what's what's your line <laughs> that you said to me? Mm-hmm. What's your line? Her line? It's nothing exists right now except for me and this cigarette. Something I'm paraphrasing. Yeah, that's wonderful. Mm-hmm, I is. just I love this character because she's so weary, and uh, whoever is the voice actor for her did such a phenomenally perfect, perfect job of that like weathered weariness, where she's just done like five five jobs too many and can't possibly <laughs> yeah, stand and, it anymore. And that's why that's why I'm describing her is just, you know, she's like, Okay, I'm here. It's like you're showing you're you're at the point where you've been doing your job for twenty years and you're ready to retire and you're there because you want the paycheck. Mm-hmm. That's where I kinda get the feeling So she, she doesn't get a paycheck. Exactly. Which is why she's even more weary. Mm. I like one thing I really like about Lauren, I mean I worked on the games, but I started as a fan of the series, so you know, I got I didn't start working on Blackwell until the fourth game. So one thing I really liked about Lauren is you f- you learn about her first in Legacy and who she was and what she did. And it's really interesting to me that she threw away the whole um, 
the whole bestower thing, she kind of put that off to one side to bring up Rosa. Yeah. And mm-hmm. like, and it ended up costing her her mind and her life and like yeah. the whole thing was shutting Joey out. And there's this really interesting thing. And again, I speak as a player now, not as a developer. So I'm allowed to talk about it without being narcissistic. There's this really interesting <laughs> thing in the first game where as Rosangela, you can try to tell um, the doctor that you go and visit, who was also your aunt's doctor about Joey. And like Joey turns dark, like he threatens you because he just spent a whole bunch of time trapped in a cell in an asylum. Yeah. With Lauren. Like, and, you know, he basically saw that doing that was basically her downfall. So in order to sort of prevent that from happening again, but it's interesting to see Lauren as like this character that you only hear about in the sort of epitaph at the yeah. start of the first game. And then you see her, and how she lived and everything like that. And a lot of it, actually, when, when we finished working on the series, a lot of people, the thing that they wanted was like, oh, you should have done another game with Lauren in it. Everybody said that. Hmm. Yeah, but I think she yeah. had just the right amount of exposure. In fact, I think the, I that whole too- series was just the right length. Yeah, I hope so. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was only the artist. I didn't have that much to say. <laughs> yeah, fuck the artist. Who, know, who cares what they yeah. have to say? <laughs> it's true. Yeah. You read the Steam comments. <laughs> oh, gosh. Don't read the Steam comments. Don't ever. That's, this is my rule. If you're an aspiring developer, do not ever read Steam comments. Do not ever read IGN comments. Do not ever read YouTube <laughs> comments. comments. Do not ever read game. No, you can read some comments, but not GameSpot either. Because you might as well just you might as well just punch yourself in the face and go, whoever does anything is an idiot ever. Just don't do it, you know. Although props to Francisco, who uh, in the Steam comments uh, helped people with their technical issues and uh, gave people very uh, unspoilery hints on how to proceed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, giving giving hints is one thing, but like he also I had to tell him off once because somebody posted something about his game. He's like, oh, that's not true. They can't say that. So he like kind of told them off and I was like, yeah, I did the right thing. And then later on, he saw this person was just like, oh, don't ever put anything about that game on there or the developer will come and like, like whine at you and complain. <laughs> and I was like, dude, don't just, just don't respond to bad reviews. Don't do it. It's not worth your time. Uh, You've got more important things to do with your brain than waste it on those people. That's hard mm-hmm. advice to take. Mm-hmm. If I, if I sold a game and someone badmouthed my product, I would probably be all over them, and I'm sure I would regret it too. So that, yeah, that's yeah, good it advice. doesn't. It, it really doesn't get you anywhere. It doesn't. Actually, True, it doesn't. doesn't. This actually reminds me of something I read a while ago, and I showed you this. Hmm. Um, this person had a book published online, like they did an ebook. Oh right. And instead of taking the high road, oh, that don't mind me. That's something else. Uh, <laughs> Um, <laughs> that's not our timer, but uh, effectively, this per- this author failed to take the high road and enge- and just completely sunk to the other per- sunk below the other person who was tr- who was only giving honest feedback on why she didn't like a book, and it was a completely subjective opinion. It wasn't like the person said, "Oh, this book's a piece of crap." They just said, "Oh, I didn't like it because I didn't like the characters and I found the plot boring." Which you know, I mean, it's not. It's and I thought that was like the least offensive thing this person could have said. And this guy just completely rails on her. Well, he like wrote an essay about why this person's wrong. I for think just I saw it. that. Yeah, like oh, you don't appreciate the genius of what I've done on that. Exactly. Yeah. And Get over yourself. No one gives a shit. You're yeah. the only person that thinks you're a genius. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's just. I just thought that was a really good example of why 
if you if you if you're gonna if you have to respond, you don't respond when you know it's negative. Respond to the positive stuff. At least this way, you know you're not going to uh, just say something really stupid. Right. Yeah, I think I think you, it's easy to let emotions rule you as a creator, and you've been working on a thing for it's however long you've been working on it. Yeah, it's your baby, and it sucks to have someone go. But like sometimes it's just to not someone's taste. That's fine. There's a ton of games out there I don't like. I don't expect to say, oh, I didn't really like this game much and have the person who made it come along and go, well, you're an idiot for not liking this game that obviously is amazing. I don't want that. <laughs> mm-hmm. I yeah. want to be able to express my opinion and everyone else should be allowed to as well. Yes, they I should. I don't, don't know how we got into this topic, but, yeah, it's important. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Yes, it is. Well, And don't watch Let's Plays of games you worked on because that's the most horrifying thing in the entire world. <laughs> Don't do it. It's 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 worse than being stabbed in the face. <laughs> oh man, I just uh, I just asked Trolls, who is now a hi Trolls, who is now doing let's plays of various games, if he would uh, play a text adventure game that I created. So maybe I'll live to regret that. Oh, Brian, that you've made a mistake, my friend. I'm sorry. Which I mean, sometimes it's play? very funny, you're but other times like your burger like, adventure game. Yeah, the hamburger game. <laughs> <laughs> you've made a mistake. I mean, it can be very funny. So, you know, but it's so. also, it can crush your soul into tiny little pieces of dust that blow away on a bitter maudlin wind. <laughs> I'm a fa- I was a fan fiction writer when I was younger, so I've put up some, some pretty bad criticism. Yeah, it, you, I mean, everybody's got to start somewhere and not I wrote you do to write fan right? fiction. <laughs> oh, you wrote one for me, didn't you? Or yes. I, I suggested... I wrote, uh, he suggested it, and I wound up getting the prompt. He wanted me to do slash fiction with Apollo Justice and a stepladder. Yeah, there's this, like, <laughs> there's this recurring theme in the Phoenix Wright games <laughs> where someone will say something about a ladder, and someone else will say, oh, it's not a ladder, it's a stepladder. Which sounds like the stupidest possible thing, but they keep doing it, and it's funny because they keep doing it. And so Bianca had to, like, agreed to write a, a, some slash fiction for Phoenix Wright. And so I'm like, why don't you... I want you to write slash fiction where Apollo Justice is doing it with a, a stepladder and somebody has to correct someone. You, you say, I'm having sex with a ladder. And someone has to correct him and say, no, it's a stepladder. Yeah, so I made it so... Uh, so Justice has to work late. He's drunk and he starts humping... A, he starts dry humping a ladder because he's desperate. And Trucy walks in on it. And uh, he it fails to explain it, so he just hands her some alcohol. I mean, we've all been there. We've all been there. So, is that like is that like going? Oh, it's not my mother; it's my stepmother. Or yeah. is it like oh. It's okay, this is the perfect perfect opportunity, I think, for us all to like turn tail and run for the hills. <laughs> this has been a a phenomenally wonderful, lovely, lengthy podcast, and I must thank you all very, very most sincerely, Kelsey and Ben, for joining us today, and to our listeners for putting putting up with us. Oh, and, and and here I am talking about the, the the end of our podcast. I should be calling it the rear end of our podcast because yeah, the, the stool has passed. The stool has passed, and I apologize profusely for ending up the podcast with an incest joke. <laughs> That's just how I am. It's better to end it than to begin it with it because that would have been true. that would have been That's more true. awkward. At least I'm not like trolls and I don't just like come on the podcast and say. <laughs> Whatever he does. I at least tried to be nice at the start. I tried to trick you onto a sense of security. Yeah, I appreciate you trying. You almost did it. Thank you for having us. It was lovely. It was very lovely. Thank you so, so, so much. Thank you for joining us. 
Um, Kelsey, is there anything that uh, you would like to plug or tell people how to get in touch with you? Sure. You can find me on Twitter at KelseyR713, and you can find my personal website where you can find links to all my other stuff at KelseyR713.rocks. And you should read nerdybutflirty.com. Writing this down, we most certainly <laughs> will do that. Dot rocks is a domain? That's fantastic. Yes, it's supposed to be used for, like, you know, mineral people. But Geology. <laughs> <laughs> I stole it. We've already been talking about crack today. I thought it was a crack thing. <laughs> I'll assume that the one that you're that you are associating with is like the is excellent definition of rocks. Yes. And not yes, the, exactly. Not, not the geology or narcotic. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> Kelsey, a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Yes, thank, thank you for you. having me. I'll come back anytime. I would love that. And Sir Chandler of Chandlerville, Indiana. Is there, is, there any, is there anything at all that you would like to plug? Um, yeah, everybody should play Aquanaut. Yeah. <laughs> That's the only important thing. You, you don't need to follow me. Live your lives. I've got nothing to say. <laughs> okay, well, we will, we will leave your humility at that then. We have, uh, uh, well, yes? Before we let them go, yes. I, haven't, I didn't have a chance to do this, but Ben... I I oh. never thanked you for the uh, pi- for the uh, pi- picture of Kimmy. Oh, our oh, painting! My pleasure. I really I had a it was a, um, very enjoyable to do. A beautiful bird and very. And nice you did and paint. you did her justice. She looks beautiful. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Lots of colors. I had fun putting all the color in. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, almost every color in the rainbow in this birdie. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot. I yeah. thank you repeatedly for this, Ben. But thank you once again for yes. this gorgeous painting that brightens thank you up our very room. Much. My pleasure. <laughs> All right, and Bianca, thank you, my dear, for being a uh, a wonderful co-host as usual. Oh, you're very welcome, my very smelly darling. You're a smelly darling, smell. <laughs> you're a, you're a smell. So, <laughs> ladies and gents, thank you very very much for crumbie. joining us. Crombie, yeah, eat, eat a crombie. <laughs> eat a eat a crombie and yodel. <laughs> if you want to reach us. On the web, we are squarefm.demodulated.com. Uh, reach us by email and tell us about your favorite video game characters, squarefm at demodulated.com. And on Twitter, we are at squarewavesfm. And so with that, I will wish you all adieu, and uh, and uh, may, may all your stools pass. Because a stool shall pass. <laughs> <laughs> Bye-bye, everybody. Bye. 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 Cock-a-doodle-doo.